Hello, my friends. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by DraftKings.com, America's favorite daily fantasy baseball site where you could win huge cash prizes every day. How huge? How huge? Millions, motherfucker. People have won millions of dollars from DraftKings.com. That sounds like bullshit. But it's not. It's fucking not. DraftKings has crowned over a dozen millionaires. They've made people rich as fuck. From fantasy sports, ladies and gentlemen. God damn it. Instant cash. Instant gratification. No slogging through a long season to collect your winnings. You can win money. Real fucking money. It's like a new season every time you play. Simply pick two pitchers and eight position players, stay under the salary cap, and you could be on your way to a massive motherfucking payday. Hundreds of thousands of fantasy sports fans like you have cashed in at DraftKings. Now it's your turn. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and use the promo code ROGAN, that's R-O-G-A-N, to play for free in the $100,000 Fantasy Baseball Contest on opening day. First place takes home $10,000. Good Lord. Use the promo code ROGAN for free entry now at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings. Motherfucking.com. But don't type in the motherfucking or you'll get to the wrong site. DraftKings.com. Oh, shit. And make sure you use the promo code ROGAN. I'm very excited to have this as a sponsor because this is a show that I had talked about long before uh, they ever decide to have a guest on the show or have a sponsor. Uh, Life Below Zero. Life Below Zero is one of my favorite TV shows. I, it's one of my f- the few shows that I DVR. It's on the National Geographic channel, and it is a fucking excellent show. It's one of the few out of all those shows where they have those uh, reality shows where people are living off the land that I don't detect even a a whiff of fuckery they don't have to because the lives that these people live are so fascinating the show follows seven inhabitants of the alaskan wild as they just try to survive up there they subsistence living they all have their own way of doing it but they're all battling the elements and they all have extreme elements that they're dealing with and isolated environments. And it is fucking amazing. Sue Aikens, I uh, had her on the podcast, just a huge fan of her. She's just such a, such a powerful personality and such a survivor and just a really, really interesting woman and just really cool to be around, too. It was, a, it was really fun talking to her. And um, having her on the podcast and talking to her for a long period of time really just made me want to watch the show even more. So before Thursday, April 9th at uh, 9 p.m. 8 central, that's when the new season of Life Below Zero starts. Check out the podcast with her on it and you'll want to watch it even more. It is a fucking amazing show. These guys are dealing with whiteouts, snowstorms, carnivorous monsters, and fucking waning supplies of resource. Each, each character knows. Each character. I say character, but they're fucking people. These are real human beings. These are not like fake scenarios they have to deal with. No, they're like they're hunting for their own food. They, they have to f- chop their own firewood at below zero temperatures in the middle of the night just to stay alive. It's no joke. See what winter has in store for them on the new season of Life Below Zero, which starts Thursday, April 9th at 9 p.m. 8 central on the National Geographic channel. Life Below Zero follows seven people as they battle the most necessity. They battle. I'll say that again. This is the shit they have to, they, they want me to read. This is a part of the copy, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it says Life Below Zero follows seven people as they battle 
for the most basic necessities in the northern desolate fringes of the Arctic. Some of them are lone wolves. Others have their families beside them. All must overcome despairing odds to brave the wild and survive through the sp- through to the spring. See, I would never say that. This is what I would say. It's a fucking badass show about some people that live in a crazy environment. These are some really interesting, fascinating human beings that have decided that fuck cubicle life, fuck living in packed cities. They want to live in nature. They want to live off the land. And the way they do it is, for whatever reason, is incredibly compelling. It's a great show. And it's really, really well done. So uh, Life Below Zero, go check it out. Again, it is on Thursday, April 9th at 9 p.m. 8 Center. 8 Center? <laughs> 8 Central on the National Geographic Channel. Preparation is over. This is their thing again. Preparation is over. The onslaught of winter has arrived, and every hour of every day until spring is a battle for survival. Not every hour. Sometimes you're taking naps. You, you got to take a shit. You got an outhouse. You know, it's things to do. Uh, these people are fascinating folks, though. They really are. Uh, not only with the challenges they face, but with the subjects themselves. Um... This is one of the things that's really funny about this copy. Key takeaways we want consumers to get from our marketing for this season. Preparation time is over. The onslaught of winter has arrived, and every hour of every day until spring is a battle for survival. These people are fascinating, not only with the challenges they face, but with the, with, but that they subject themselves to them voluntarily. Nat Geo goes off the road to find even people, even the people and stories that never intended to be found. Okay. Whatever. Just listen to me. It's a fucking dope show. Okay. It's a great show about real people who live in a really crazy part of the world. Uh, Sue Aikens lives like hundreds of miles above the Arctic Circle. Uh, she lives uh, this Kavik River camp. It's like 80 miles from the closest road. She was living in, she has to live in these tents because these, these uh, structures where they're at have to be temporary. She can't live in like, she can't build a, like a bulletproof house up there. So she lives in this like fucking cloth house. When she was living there, these wolves chased a grizzly bear and it slammed into her tent while they were fucking hunting a grizzly bear. And then they killed it like a hundred miles from where she, or a hundred yards rather from where she sleeps. It's amazing. This same lady, Sue Aikens, she was dragged from her bed by a grizzly bear, mauled and left for dead. She got back to safety and then went back and killed that bear and ate it. <laughs> it's a great show. National Geographic Channel, my friends. And it's called Life Below Zero. Go check it out. Thursday, April 9th, 9 p.m., 8 central. All right, that's way longer than it's supposed to be, but it's because I really like this show. All right, that's it. Until then, my friends, enjoy the podcast. Do, do, do. All right, well, this podcast we recorded January 24th, 2015, and uh, it was me and Tony Hinchcliffe. We did two shows in Stockholm, Sweden, and then we went back, and it was only like 7 o'clock L.A. time, so our bodies were all confused at the time change. We just decided to do a podcast, and we did it um, using my my phone, and it came out all right. It was uh, was, was interesting. Like You really don't need – I mean, you have a quiet room. Don't need such fancy equipment. Uh, you don't give a fuck about that. Here's what's important. It's me, Tony, in Stockholm, Sweden, in a hotel room. Enjoy it. Joe Rogan Podcast. Check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day. Joe Rogan Podcast by night. All day. 
Checkity, check, check. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the first ever podcast done from a hotel by Tony Hinchcliffe and I in Stockholm, Sweden. This is it. This is number one. We've never done it before. First one ever. Shit is crazy. Might not be the last. This might be such a huge success that we come back to Stockholm, Sweden in a hotel just to make episode two. Just with an iPhone. Like, poor equipment. If you're like, goddamn Joe Rogan, your audio quality has dropped off substantially. This is just a, a once in a blue moon freak incident. We just decided to do it tonight because we had so much fun. And we're, our time is all fucked up. Like, it's 5 p.m. for us, but it's 2 a.m. here. And we just did two shows in Stockholm. So we're so confused. Like, at yeah. least I am, time-wise. Yeah. It's my first time in uh, Europe. Scandinavia. So we flew here yesterday, and then my body's super confused, and we just did two shows. Yeah, it was amazing, man. It was really um, surprising how, like, they knew so much about what we were talking about. Like, you didn't have to change anything. It's insane. But the only things that were different were I thought they wouldn't understand, like, uh, references and the things that I was talking about. The only thing that was different was, that I wasn't prepared for was just how uh, hard they listen. Like, they listen so hard that it seems like they're not laughing that hard or, like, uh, you know, they, they clap more than North American audiences and they laugh less. Well, they have more patience, too. And I also think, like, on the first set, at least, you seemed, like, a little uncomfortable with the politeness. Yeah. You're, like, used to the comedy store, which has zero crowd control. Yeah. You know? They're very, like, uh, respectful of the art form out here. Yes. It's not a bunch of sloppy monsters staring at their phones and <laughs> and uh, getting up over and over again to go to the bathroom back and forth. Like, everybody's so distracted at what, what I'm used to. To actually have, like, a captive audience is priceless. Yeah, that's actually interesting, isn't it? We, uh, we're almost like we're too wealthy with entertainment. Especially in L.A. Like, I found that there's a difference between performing in L.A. and performing in Pasadena. Mm -hmm. I mean, Pasadena, the audiences are more attentive, more into it. They're just, they're more excited that you're there. Whereas in L.A., they're like, whatever, I was just a comedy juice, okay? <laughs> I saw Chris D'Elia kill. Right. Oh, my God, Jeff Ross, the Roastmaster, came down. It was awesome. Yeah. Right. I Instagrammed the whole thing. Earlier in the day when you're hugging, you know, a Transformer and Spider-Man, it's hard to follow that up with anything stand-up comedy-wise. Like, they've already had the, been starstruck by the biggest stars. Well, it's, it's that for sure, but it's also they're just over it. Yeah. You know, people in L.A., there's one benefit of being famous in L.A., like, especially, like, my level of fame, nobody gives a shit about you. You know, it's like you're, like, if you're in Columbus, Ohio... And you're Jeff Ross. You probably walk down the street and people start freaking out. Holy shit, it's the fucking Rose Master. Exactly. But yeah. if Jeff Ross is on Melrose, like people go, hey, what's up, man? You know, right. like it's way easier to accept that yeah. you see him there. That's you true. You know, it's a different, like, uh, it's a different, pl but subsequently, it's like the audiences, I think, especially at the comedy store, are way more over it. I fucking love being back at that place, man. Yeah, it's a fun time there right now. There's a lot happening. It's going to be interesting to see how everything develops with so much happening. Yeah, yeah, it's um it's really uh it's a hopping place. There's yeah. a lot of energy in that joint. 
Yeah. Like I always knew that, but the energy is different. It's different from when I was there. It's better. It really has gotten better. It's like uh, more positive, right? Yeah. Yeah, way more. Way more positive, um, way more. It seems like the comics are just, there's more artists there than there have ever been before. Mm-hmm. You know, there's more people like that roast battle thing, those people that are taking these big crazy chances. Mm-hmm. There's just, it's a different sort of thing. It's a different sort of thing, like the kind of comedy that you're seeing out of there. It's just as young, like energetic. It's like a, a, it's a mind of its own. And it's almost, it seems like, like the, the crazy, almost aggressively rebellious nature of the comics at the store. It seems like this creative, aggressive sort of rebellious nature is born out of the repression of that, that we're getting more now than ever before from the internet. Like more people are complaining about jokes, more people are complaining about, you know, the kind of comedy that people do than ever before. So I think that when you see something like that, when you see that kind of repression that you see like with the Tracy Morgan thing and the Daniel Tosh thing, and Mm -hmm. people look for like what the progressives would call a safe space. (laughs) And the comedy store is a safe space for psychopaths. It's like it's the last bastion of free speech and comedy in L.A. Like a real crazy place where the comics bring each other up, you know. Yeah, it's really insane. I don't think people actually know what happens there. Like I think that they think that it's like – their typical comedy club, but maybe everybody's better, like the three-person shows that they're used to seeing at a mm. different place. But it's like, I don't know. It's really hard. It's There's no nothing else like it in any other art form. Like, you can't go to a rock concert and see Aerosmith, and then ACDC, yeah. and then Van Halen, and then, you know, it's like yeah. a, it's a lineup of the very best of everybody 16 comics doing 15 minutes each like that's crazy and people yeah people stay sometimes through the whole thing mm-hmm. nine to two yeah and that's amazing and they have a blast when they do when they start with the opener and they finish with don barris and they have their mind blown left and right everywhere in between those are the happiest people yeah if you got that kind of comedy endurance yeah you could see a goddamn hell of a show mm-hmm. one after the other you know, I mean, I've seen some nights there where you have seven or eight killers in a row. Yeah. It's awesome. It, it's never been better. Man, when I got there, the place was dead, and it was negative, and every person that worked there was negative. It was a bad situation. This was in 2007? Yeah. Bad situation. None of those guys are there anymore. Wow. The, the only one that's there that was there when I got there is Doc Willis. And Doc's always good. been there. He's yeah. always been there. He's always been a good dude. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was all post Mencia. That was all like the mm-hmm. darkness. And he used to come in and mm. it was disgusting. I could not believe <laughs> it. I could not believe it. It was the one thing that crushed my little heart when I realized that that was. Oh, fall down? Yeah. Uh, when I realized that that's what was happening, was that. Carlos had free reign. Like, he could walk in and just bump people. And well, when do people are famous, time. they let the comedy store for the longest time let people bump people. But, you know, they're starting to, to realize that that's not necessary. Like, uh, everybody calls in. I know Marin calls in. I call in. Mm-hmm. Um, Callan calls in. Like, people that probably could bump people, they don't. Bobby Lee calls in, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to bump, man. Yeah. And his thing was he would get off on it. 
Yeah. It's unfortunate, you know. It was unfortunate for a bunch of reasons, but that's not even important. What's important is that it's rebounded. Yeah, it's completely fixed, and that's what's crazy. It's how like, did it how did it turn around? Like what when did it really start to turn around? Like how many years ago? Um, probably about uh three or four years ago it started getting maybe even five it started because, you know, it, the guys were just crushing, you know, all of a sudden like you know, he didn't have the specials yet. Like, we're seeing it all popping now for, like, an Ari Shafir, mm -hmm. who was the only guy at the, you know, like, a 10, 15, 10, 30 back then. But it was a good, like, building crop of, like, Ari Shafir, Ran is Easy. Like, all these guys were starting to get TV confidence and, you know, money and gigs. And they were turning it up to their next level. And now, you know, it's just gotten better it's so like the younger guys saw them killing it and mm -hmm. then they raised their own game up to right exactly because yeah. we all knew that ari and and ran as easy and uh you know like steve simone's another one all these guys you know they were all working there not when i got there ari was a couple years out and steve was just done and i think simone was still working there when i got there i'm not positive on that maybe he just was done too but we knew that, like, they worked there, and we saw them, you know. We just got there, and we could barely do three or five minutes of mm. anything good. But you see these guys who you know were just sitting on the same stool that you're checking IDs on, and mm. they're crushing all of a sudden. And they and we watched them. Another thing is, is that Tommy, went, the former talent coordinator, took it really slow with everybody. So, like, you'd watch them get frustrated. Even, like, Brody, he was... He was working, he worked Brody to the bone, man. He would put Brody up at the very end next to Don Barris all the time, even though Brody and Don would get into these crazy arguments. Like, they hated each other. And Tommy would purposefully put him there. And I think it, crazy enough, I think it really helped Brody. He got to turn it, he got to take a real beat-to-death crowd and revive it, you know? Well, Mitzi, that was one of her things that she would do. She would take people that didn't like each other and she'd put them next to each other, back mm -hmm. to back. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love it. It's such a. I think there, it's kind of still going on. I see that sometimes. I see lineups, and I'm like, "Ooh, that looks like it's on purpose." Oh yeah. Like I think they still. Oh, it's absolutely still going. Still on. in this. I'd, I had with... it. I had it happen to me last week. No doubt about <laughs> it. They know. Exactly. I, I see two guys. Like I don't think those people like each other. <laughs> and they're going back to back. Yeah, that yeah. that's. There's no place like that, man. There's no yeah. place like that. Yeah. It's, it's um. It's cool, and I think it also coincides with the uh, advent of the podcast. Mm -hmm. Seems like when comics started adopting podcasts or, or starting uh, uh, starting podcasts, and um, it became like a thing, like Tom Segura and Christina Pazitsky and Ari and Joey and Duncan and and you and all these podcasts that all these guys had. It seems like when those things started happening, people also start talking a lot about how awesome the store is. Like it would come up a, a kind of recurring theme. Oh, yeah. So it seems like now, like I've been blown away by how good the audiences are. I'm like, this is an amazing. Mm -hmm. Like this audience is amazing. Yeah. Like they're they're um, they're really smart. They're on top of shit and they're fun. You know, and they're really comedy fans. Like they're enjoying the fact that they're lucky enough to be in a town where you get to see all these guys uh, work out. Like you could drop in one night, and you know, you could just see five, six guys that you you know really enjoy. And you see weird stuff like, like seeing Brody do those closing spots. My God, Brody closed in the main room like two weeks ago, and I took some photos and I put it up on my Instagram. Mm -hmm. 
he was fucking on fire and it was like effortless it was all effortless yeah. you know talking about like his neighborhood you know where he, like and you're you're howling laughing you got it balboa and Rosita, don't mess with me i'm here in spirit yeah push he just i'm not doing him any justice like i can't remember all the shit that he talked about but i remember like saying like wow if I was just like um, a guy who had come here from out of town, who was a comedy fan, and I got a chance to watch something like that, like, man, you just saw this huge show, and then at the end of the show, Brody Stevens does an hour of almost entirely improvised, in-the-moment stand-up. He'll jump right out of jokes and start <laughs> playing chair drums. He'll yell at the guy up in the... in the. Yeah. He'll yell at the sound guy that, to play the right track. Or Next one, next one. He's like improvising completely on the spot. Yeah. He's something special, man. His mm-hmm. those late night spots are something special. They're they're really important. Like if you're a fan of like just chaotic comedy moments where like it doesn't seem like it should be really happening. Yeah. Like going and watching Brody close at the yeah. store is like it's something. Just it's so unique because it's like this free form thing. Like you know he's gonna pull it off because he pulls it off all the time because he does so much warm up for TV shows. Like Brody has this really unique style, and a lot of people might not know, but he he makes his living primarily uh, not just as a stand up and not just doing movies, but as a warm up guy for shows. So like for sports shows and for Chelsea Handler, he did it for a long time. He did it for the Man Show when when I worked on the Man Show, he was the guy that we used, and he's. Awesome. Adam. And now he does it on at midnight, four nights a week. Yeah. yeah. So being so loose, like doing that all the time, fucking around with people and, and, and warming up the crowd and keeping everybody laughing, you have to be so freeform. So he's so good at extracting comedy mm-hmm. out of nothing or anything or, or as far as a premise, like out of nowhere. He can extract some hilarious shit. He knows the perfect ridiculous shit to say. Yeah. It's just his mind is like really like in shape. For that kind of comedy. Yeah. He's just such a goofball. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just only a matter of time before he's about to say the next funniest thing. It was uh, it was so fun, man. It was so fun. It was me and uh, one of the door guys. And, you know, maybe like 40 people left. Maybe 40 people left out of, like, what is the main room seat when it's packed? 250 or something? Three? Four, but closer to four. Yeah. Four? Okay. So it was packed. And it gets down to, you know, whatever it was. 40, 50 people, whatever. Mm-hmm. Not even 50. It wasn't even 50. It was pre-scattered. Yeah. And Brody's just slaying. Wow. Slaying. I mean, we're crying. Employees are coming in from the kitchen. People are hearing about how hard he's slaying. Oh so people God. are coming in to stand by the doorway to watch him. And he's murdering. Oh. It was just so fun. You know, it made me really appreciate um, stand-up again. I mean, not that I didn't. Not that I ever stopped. But it was a, a, a sort of a reignition. Well, that's the best stuff is getting, you know really inspired like it's uh if i watch i can't even like watch bill burr's new special or you know it's like it's just too much for me it's it, two hmm. two minutes is enough and that's what it. what it, what bothers you no it's just i just don't even you know i get it like it's the the it's just so you know smart that it's like fuck. I just need to get to work. It immediately mm. just makes me want to work. Right. So Two you or three can't minutes even enjoy in. it. Right. Exactly. Can't enjoy. It. You just want to get away from it and exactly. run. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah. You got us not. Um, it's there's a there's a thing that every uh, guy does. Um, some girls too I should say every person who's like really competitive, 
you're obviously really competitive. You get into comedy mm-hmm. um, where they start comparing themselves to other people. It's so hard not to. Mm-hmm. And it's good if you use it like you're using it because you're saying, you know, I am just going to go fucking right now. Like, right. That, instead of being fuck that guy. Like, right. That's a bad thing, man. I've seen that fuck that guy thing mm-hmm. that guys will do when someone's kicking ass, you know. I've seen it. I've seen people say it about like really nice guys. I'm like, oh man, you can't say that about him. He's really good. He's a good guy. He's a good comic. Like, yeah. things are happening for him because he's oh, it's fucking this and that. And that. Okay, you need to t- take that same laser guided missile of of reason and criticism and look at your own act. Mm-hmm. Okay, you'll find some shit in there that's not so good either, dude. Right. You know, like, and. Uh, since when is like a guy working on something like that's one thing that drives me crazy like yeah he's working on some new material he's bombing oh guess what that's what happens when you work on new material dude you don't sometimes you don't know you have no idea you're trying some shit out right you know if you want to compare yourself while you're up there doing this stuff that you know is going to work over and over again because you've done it over and over again with some guy who comes in who just happens to be more successful than you but he's working on new stuff all the time you know, and you, you know, a lot of times it's bumping. People get mad, like if a guy comes in and bumps, mm-hmm. like some some big name guy from the road. Yeah. You know, but I think that it's like we we go, go far too long without recognizing like what what's empowering and what fucks you, and what fucks you is jealousy. Jealousy fucks you. It just yeah. does. But it can also be empowering. Like as long as you that jealousy is like like I told you when you uh, wrote that Bill Cosby joke I got jealous I really did like mm-hmm. not jealous like fucking Tony Hinchcliffe but I went like ooh I wish I thought of that right. like I was happy at the same time like yeah. I love watching you kill and I think you're a fucking brilliant comic but I was like oh that's a good one that's a goddamn good one and I also recognized like oh there's a mine in there there's like a goddamn gold mine of, yeah. of material so that kind of like it's not even jealousy it's like there it's admiration plus inspiration, inspiration. Yeah. yeah so it like gets you thinking like oh that's i should have exactly, come up with that i gotta go to I'm work about. yeah like, and it's the same thing with you all the time but like i can you know what i mean like I, I the way i look at it is i already have you and you know I, and i also do the road with jeff ross and both of you guys kick out you know it's those are my two Send the both sides of my sense of humor lie within you know away the two of you, you know like mm. you have these deep, uh, fun sometimes dark sometimes light but like introspective like stand up stand up, you know Jeff just rattles off amazing jokes like sort of more old school you know and uh, and so like when I when I see any other like then this especially here's the here's what i'm getting at the epitome of it is Chappelle. Mm. like i could sit there and watch Chappelle with my jaw dropped for for the entire thing people say oh he shouldn't do three or four hours i've seen him do it and i've seen people just love it and i've seen the room get more and more packed yet not many people leaving Mm. as he does it yeah they find out he's there right people go oh i can't believe he does four hours who wants to watch that long well i've seen it and it's like a lot of people. Like a lot of people, <laughs> if it's Dave Chappelle, they want to watch that long. Yeah. And he is, he's that good. It is nasty. I just yeah. read an article where, uh, what was it? it was, I think it was Kevin Hart or Chris Rock, one of the two. That sounds racist that I would get them confused. But How they're dare both you? promoting movies. How right dare now, you? So. They're both promoting the same movie, too. That top yeah. five, is that what it's called? Wedding top. Ringer. 
Something. Oh, that, that's oh, yeah, uh, that's, Kevin Hart's right? Yeah, they said they're both promoting two different movies. But one of them mentioned that. It's like they, you know, they watch Chappelle and, and they're just like, holy fucking shit. And it's so inspirational. Yeah. It's it's really, and Chappelle is, he's like the epitome. Which, by the way, is probably no coincidence that Bill Burr is the way that he is because you watch Chappelle's show mm-hmm. and you see him all throughout it. You, mm-hmm. know, you could tell that they were friends and that obviously Bill was working with Dave. So what are the odds? How could that be coincidence that the guy, one of the guys that was closest to Dave's crazy valve of inspiration mm. could be Bill Burr, who rose to be blatantly one of, you know, the top comics in the world. Yeah, I think some of my most uh, inspired moments have come from watching uh, Chappelle do the store like mm-hmm. back in the day, back when I was still there, he would drop in. And uh, and fucking light that place on fire. Like, was that before the Chappelle show? Or? No, it was post. Because I did the Chappelle show way back in the day, man. I did the Chappelle show. I think I was in town just to do stand-up. I think it was the before the show it ever aired. I forget why I was in New York. But I was walking on the street, and um, I ran into Dave, and he had a fake mustache on. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing, man? He goes, hey, Joe Rogan, you want to be in my new show? And I go, well, I've only got like an hour, but yeah, like, yeah, I'll hang with you for an hour. Yeah. So for an hour, I uh, I had this box of pins on it that said like best New York boobs. Mm-hmm. And we walked around and Dave Chappelle with a fake mustache on would just go up to a woman and go, you got some great New York boobs. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is Joe Rogan from NBC's Fear Factor. And I'll be like, hello. And I'm like... <laughs> I stood there with a box and followed Dave around as Dave was just hilarious with this uh, fake mustache on. And uh, then I did it again in the future. Um, I think it was like season two or whatever it was. How many seasons did they do? They only did two? Mm-hmm. So season two was the Fear Factor episode mm-hmm. where it was um, uh, oh my God. Tyrone Biggums. That's right. And he got yeah. the, he got in the, the thing with the worms or he, eat the, yeah. he ate the worms he was excited and then he laid down yeah. in the pit with the snakes <laughs> like he was cozy i think he laid down with worms i don't remember what he laid down with but oh, it man. was like warm y'all turn the light like out <laughs> oh that's right he turn wanted to get some off. sleep <laughs> yeah this ain't the first time i taste penis joe rogan <laughs> <laughs> my line good. of work hot sauce <laughs> oh that's what's crazy is that that show was Oh, funny. And it was all improvised. That oh. whole, all that shit. I mean, he had some jokes. There was definitely mm-hmm. some jokes that were there, but there was a lot of improvisation, yeah. a lot of fucking around. Yeah. He was just trying, to, and he stayed in character, mm-hmm. like, all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, he was, uh, I was there with my friend Eddie Bravo, mm-hmm. and it was right after Eddie Bravo had choked out Ho- uh, Hoyler Gracie. So it was 2003, right? And uh, he, he kept saying, Horse Gracie! Like, he kept saying the wrong name, like I said, a Hoyler. Man, you talked out horse crazy, and we would be laughing because he was doing it like as Tyrone Biggums. Yeah, you know. But yeah, I think Burr also, um, and he definitely uh, benefited from that. But Burr, he his style like epitomizes the style that we saw, like the best style in Boston. Like guys that you've probably never seen do stand up, like Don Gavin and Steve Sweeney and Kenny Rogerson and. Um, Mike Donovan and uh, I've seen none of Lenny Clark murderers. I know about Lenny Clark murderers, dude. I'm telling you, when they're in their prime, uh, I've seen the strongest sets I've ever seen from people who are not like worldwide known. Why? How did they not get? They stayed in Boston. 
They stayed in Boston and they did a lot of Boston material, like st especially Steve Sweeney. Oh. Steve Sweeney was a motherfucker, dude. I mean, you know what they used to do? I've told this story before, so if you've heard this, I so apologize. But just for the interest of educating young Tony, mm -hmm. uh, in Boston, they would set you up where, like, say if you were Billy Crystal and you were going to come in and headline Nick's Comedy Stop, they would sandwich you. You would be the top slice of bread after they had gone through every great comic in town. Like, I mean, these guys would just go up and devastate, and they were hungry. They were hungry and they were mean. And they would just smash. And they would do it on purpose. And they would set these guys up. Like they would put on Don Gavin, Steve Sweeney, and then they would throw up some guy that was on television. Some guy, you know, from some sitcom that had no business. And the disaster horror stories they would hear about guys trying to headline Nick's Comedy Stop after these murderers. I mean, they were it was funny to them. They would do it on purpose. They would have Kenny Rogerson, Steve Sweeney. And and Don Gavin, and it would just be death, destruction, death, destruction, and you would go on stage, and the audience kind of was in on it because yeah. they had seen it happen so many times before, mm -hmm. and they would give you a couple minutes, and if you didn't grab them quick, and the, and if you didn't have that style, like yeah. that Boston attack style, it was an attacking, energetic, powerful style, and that is what Bill, in my opinion, Bill Bill Burr, he embodies that. Like he's like the perfect, like if I said like what's Boston style comedy. Bill Burr. Yeah. Bill Burr is the perfect Boston-style comic. Why do you think those guys stayed in Boston? Like, it's a good question, man. You think it was... It's a good question. I mean, it's so close to New York, right? How far of a subway trip is that? It's, it's that big fish thing, man. It's that big fish thing. But weren't they all still competing to be the big fish anyway? They could have probably been one of the bigger fishes yeah, in New but York. They no, 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 no. no. I mean, they weren't getting all the respect that they felt they deserved from television. You know, a lot of those guys hadn't had TV sets. Right. Or if they did have TV sets, another problem is if they did a TV set in New York or in L.A., a lot of their local humor didn't work. Right. And a lot of their murderous jokes were like local jokes. And like Ari Shafir said something once. We were talking about comedy and we are talking about the creation of new bits and how guys um, have uh, – you know, like sometimes guys have a hard time letting go of their old act and they, they keep – like wanting to like add taglines to a bit that's already on a special. And he's like, but you're using up creativity. Like, yeah, you might be able to make that joke better, but you're using up creativity that you could have put on all these other new jokes that you had, and then you would have a whole new act. So these guys, what they did is they took jokes and they hammered them down like a samurai sword mm -hmm. over years. And they did the same act over and over and over again. But they got undeniably skillful. They got murderously skillful. But a lot of it was local and it never it, it didn't change it much you know they just kept doing the same sets over and over and over again and they never did sets that you could do like in new york and have the same sort of reaction that you have in boston mm -hmm. bill did bill was different than those guys bill left he went to new york he did a lot of tv you know he did chappelle show and all that other stuff and a lot of other things and then he he became like a national comic, you know, and like a true national comic. Like his material was, you could bring him to Pittsburgh, he would murder. You bring him to Fort Lauderdale, he would murder. He murders everywhere, you yeah. know. But he's got that style. It's like a Boston style of comedy. I love it. It's my favorite style. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely very rapid fire and one yeah. punchline coming right after the other. And he goes for it, you mm -hmm. know. I mean, he's got like crazy like physical bits, and you know, he's. He's just he's just being the funniest guy he can be, and he also has that sort of uh, Boston attitude of like 
you know, like working hard and, you know, not wanting to fuck his fans over and just constantly doing new shit. And so that ethic, that becomes contagious for guys that are around him. And like all of us, I think we all benefit from all the other guys around us kicking ass. You know, yeah. I, I benefit from Ari kicking ass. Like Ari's kicking so much ass right now. I get excited for him, you know, like his new show that this is not happening. Like to see that, that guy started that fucking show up in the, that little room at the improv that doesn't even exist anymore. Right. And there was like 12 people in the audience and he did that five years ago, this storyteller show idea that he had. And then from then he just kept doing it. And I did one of the way early ones, man, way early ones. And then to see that become what it eventually became and then to see it on television. Yeah. And then Ari doing it right after he had his Comedy Central special. I mean, he's just fucking on fire. Yeah. He's unstoppable right now, which that's, is amazing for That's me what's watch. up, man. That's what's up. Yeah. That's going to happen to you, too. It's going to happen to everybody if you just keep going. You just have to keep working at it, you know? Look, you can go back and find some of my shit online that's terrible. You know, there's there's stuff that I have from, like, 1990-whatever-the-hell, and it's awful. That you did on TV? Or that's yeah, just like it's a online. Most, there's, like, a bit uh, that I just saw the other day that someone must have recorded in the audience where I was just um, fucking around, trying to work out new material. It was, like, right after I just released a comedy CD. And it's like, ugh. I watched it the other day. I was like, ugh, yucky, yeah. ewy. It was, like, from 2000. Like, you know, but that's all that's important because, like, it's good for all of us to know that it's, it's it's a process, you know? And to see a guy go through the process and come out on the other side and be like, like Ari is right now, it's just on fire. It's just so cool. It's just, I and I love that with everything, man. I love that with like a guy who's like really good at making tables, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I like that shit. I love um, cars, like when people build cars or pool cue makers. I love looking at their old stuff where it sucked and then seeing their new stuff where they got it nailed. Like, I, I like it. It's yeah. something, like, super satisfying to me about progress. I guarantee you. You know, even, like, Michael Keaton. I'm sure he looks at something like Birdman. Even though Beetlejuice is Beetlejuice and it's made him a lot of money, he's got to look at it like, oh, man. You know. This really? Is, you think so? Maybe the Beetlejuice, different maybe for Beetlejuice is a terrible example. I'll, I'll go with multiplicity instead. Mm. But yeah, I definitely think it's oh, different yeah, for, for actors. Sure. But I think the I think ones maybe like Keaton and Tom Hanks. I don't know the guys who make me feel like they take it very seriously. Like I'll bet you they look at their a lot of their yeah. You know what though? You're so right. It's so different with actors because there's so many other people that you have to depend on when making a film yeah. to make it good. Yeah, there's a bunch of other people that wrote stuff. You're just doing what they wrote, and there's all these producers and executives. Have you ever been on a movie set and watched all the bullshit that goes on? Mm, Not really. Ugh, it can it can be rough. You know, there's a lot of like people wanting to change things and a lot of pulling and pushing, and everybody's an expert. I watched this guy once. He's a a dude who um, I forget his name is Dave something or another. He had a a show out or a, a movie out. And he was a first-time uh, actor. Like, he, you know, he had done, like, a couple small roles. But this is the first time he was starring in a movie. And uh, these guys came in, and they were, you know, they'd produce some Adam Sandler shows. And they're giving this kid line readings. Like, they're telling him exactly how to do it. And I'll never forget this. Because this guy was in this super expensive suit. He had this beautiful Rolex. He had suspenders. Like, he had, like, a tailored like sweet fucking suit 
okay? And like this super expensive wardrobe. I mean, the guy was obviously wealthy. Like he looked like like a king's wardrobe uh, person had dressed him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he was wearing like some really expensive shit. To just arrive to set? Mm-hmm. On a set, yeah. Wow. It was, a, you know, some super producer character, mm-hmm. super executive at this and he's given these line readings. Like, no, 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 go like, you open the door, and he's just like, Dot! and the guy was acting it out. He was acting it out. And you could see, like, every time he did it, like, stole a piece of this kid's soul. Yeah. <laughs> this kid, who's a professional comedian, has to watch this guy with a Rolex and cufflinks. He had cufflinks, like, oh. very expensive cufflinks, like a very nice tailored shirt. Wow. Yeah. And it was and he like, had to do exactly what the executive was doing. Oh, him. dude. He, he was doing these, oh like, God. spit takes. Like, he was doing this, like, you, what? Chat! Oh my god. And the kid had to do it how they told him to do it. And as the um, filming went on, I was in a couple scenes, and as the filming went on, I could see them fucking with him more and more. And, you know, there was like all these power struggles, and there's script struggles, and there was all this like shit that's going on back and forth, which were, you know, trying to like figure out whether or not the scene's going to make the final cut. And this scene is going to fuck with us because we're going to get a PG-17 or an R or whatever the fuck it is. You know, instead of a PG-13, we're going to get an R. Like, we right. can't have an R. Like, you know, so there was like some jerk-off scene and they couldn't do the jerk-off scene. It was like so stupid, man. Yeah. Like the arguments and the discussions were so crazy. I was like, you you can't do one until you become an Adam Sandler. Because, or if you get super lucky and you're on a movie that's awesome, they just like like sitcom, like news radio. I mm-hmm. stumbled onto that show. Really? I just stumbled on, and all of a sudden I'm on a show that's really awesome. How'd but you get it? You just auditioned. Wow. So it, like, I just, right place, right time. Had been on another show that was getting canceled right when NBC is filming the pilot, and then I get a development deal with NBC. It was like perfect timing. Wow. So I walked into something that had already been created. The pilot had already been done. You know, I just sort of stumbled in. Um, but unless you get that, unless you get a sweet spot like that on a sitcom or on a movie, like most of the time you're you're in these like stifled positions where whatever you have that's like funny in you, it's like they don't know you yet. They don't. It's especially like there's no audience. Like they're you're not killing in front of an audience. You're doing it in front of a, a bunch of executives, and they're they're in the video village, and they're like, I don't like how he's doing the scene. I don't like how he's doing the scene. He's got to be. He's got to have more more anger. He's mad. I mean, the guy came in, the guy took his pizza, he's fucking mad, right? Let's try it again. Tell him, tell him to be mad. Tell him to be mad. And the director will go out there and go, um, they think you should be more mad. Well, fuck them, man. No, no, listen. Just let's try it one time, their way. Right. <laughs> and it's these conversations. Like, come on, man, I can't be any more mad than I'm mad. Like, you know, we've all heard those, mm-hmm. like, the hidden uh, recordings. And that's all before it even goes to the editing bay, and some mm-hmm. other guy has a complete. Yep. You know. Yeah, they snip things and change scenes by, you know, you enter into them in the middle to make it more. Di- and sometimes a, a director can make an amazing cut, and it turns a movie into something way more compelling. Like yeah. some directors are just fucking wizards at that shit. As long as the executive at the cufflinks doesn't walk in and start telling yeah. the editor what to do. I just think that as a comedian, as a comic, as someone who's trying to make someone laugh, the more people you have telling you how to do it, the less likelihood you have of success. Yeah. Yeah. With a comic, it's all about the, as far as the person being able to maximize 
how funny they are. It's all about the individual form of the individual like opinion and uh, form of expression. It's like the, the individual's point of like how he delivers it. Like everybody's got a, a different thing. And I hate to use the Mitch Hedberg uh, analogy, but it's always my, my favorite analogy because his material, like a lot of it just wouldn't work with anybody else. And if you told him that he had to do his act like Gilbert Gottfried, you know, or he had to do his act like Dice Clay, or, you know, he had to do his act like Marlon Wayans. It's not going to be the same. Right. Like, you got to do it as him. And if Mitch Hedberg doesn't get freedom and space, that never happens. You get too many people coming along. And that happened with him, man. On the road, before he became famous, they would pair him up with the most ridiculous middle acts. Because when you run the road, like, nobody, very few people in the beginning, get to pick who they work with. Mm -hmm. You know, you're like, hey, they want you to headline, you're going to be at the Funny Bone in Columbus, Ohio. Holy shit, I can't believe it. I'm going to fucking headline. Woohoo! And then you go down there and they got a black dude who lights his dick on fire and does cartwheels to fucking <laughs> R&B music and, right. you know, fucks the ground and throws rose petals in the air and right. takes his shirt off. and Crushing. Crushing. The crowd's just and yelling. You're trying, to, you're trying to look over your notes before this big headlining set you just flew across the country. <laughs> this guy is annihilating. All you can hear Crushing. are roars rolling through the walls, and you know you don't have a joke like that in your entire headlining 45 minutes to an hour. What's that thing that dudes do where they bounce their dick off the ground and they bounce like a worm? Oh, the worm. The worm. He's, He's doing, doing that across worm. the stage. He's doing that across the stage. And they are losing their fucking minds. <laughs> They're losing their minds. <sighs> you know, that's like my least favorite thing, though. It's the hardest thing for me to follow is bad comedy. <laughs> I have a real trouble with it. The bad comedy that works because it makes me hate the audience. Mm -hmm. It makes me go, oh, you're going to laugh at that guy doing the worm? Well, then you're a dumb crowd. <laughs> So I don't even want you to enjoy my jokes. It's oh, like the biggest. No. I psych myself out. That's another that it takes it back to what I was saying earlier. Like Tommy used to do that on purpose. I must have told him or I must have told one of the guys that, you know, I have a weak spot that is I can't follow hacks. Like, but I can't follow hacks. Like, that's like my Achilles heel. I'll go up after. I'm not afraid of it anything i followed diaz numerous times at the ice house which is like you know that's pretty much pound for pound like the hardest person to follow you know you, you've taken him on the road with you like he's an absolute destroyer i don't know if it's the hardest person to follow but i'm saying like one of the hardest people to follow and i love it i i love being the guy that's different after a joey diaz you know what i mean like changing up the pace and making it my own thing mm. but to follow somebody who just got if they were getting the type of laughs joey diaz got by doing bullshit and pandering <laughs> crap it makes me hate them <laughs> i go up there i go up there well this is an audio only podcast unfortunately i wish you could see your face and you said hate I'm them furious i turned into Gollum on that one <laughs> but it's true there's nothing worse than somebody doing a hack I'm, you know like i'm going up there like you said right now i'm working on a i got a six or seven minute long cosby bit 
that's not easy to write a Cosby bit where you're trying to convince the audience to jump on your side and take a pro-Cosby stance. Not to mention take a pro-Cosby stance, but have them laughing about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's now rolling into a like a pro-Michael Jackson stance where I end up saying that the little boy that blew a load in his mouth Don't give away your jokes, I'm not, I was going to give it away your fucking jokes, man. Don't do it. Nobody's... Don't ever do it. Never? Never, no. Don't ever give away your punchlines. It's too good. That one's too good. Okay. That was, and it's integral to the piece. But my point is, is that <laughs> my point is, is that like I work on writing like crazy, edgy. You know, that's what I really love. It's like trying to take a dark topic, topic, and how do I make that like something that people go, I can't believe I'm laughing about mm. this. Like that's the most fun thing to me. Like they mentioned something to me after the show. Actually, you know, somebody's like, I'm surprised you don't have a bit about the guy from Germany who raised his two daughters in his basement until they were 18 and had sex with them and bobbity bob i go jesus you know i should have a bit about that <laughs> that sounds like my kind of thing like that's the kind of homework that i like is having a target right. of like how do i take that how do i paint that picture of what happened and then how do i find that angle i wanted to write a cosby joke the second i saw it, but it took a while for me to have the angle that i have that led to everything else and, uh, you know, it's, but my point is, is to follow somebody who's talking about fucking, uh, nothing, nonsense. Yeah. yeah. Who's yeah. doing some goofy act out or, or talking about anything that's super duper easy. Well, it makes you disrespect. Well, you don't, you don't no, I shouldn't say disrespect, but you don't respect the comic either. Yeah. And then my problem I have is when I see something that's not funny, I forget what is funny. Like I need to think, see funny things to laugh, like to feel like there's humor in things. Like I, I enjoy comedy, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm a, I'm a fan of watching it. Yeah. And and when when it's not there, I get confused. Like when I'm like, well, this is like, it's not even funny. Like what the fuck is everybody laughing at? And I'm like, I gotta get out of here. Like yeah. it fucks with my head. Yeah. To the point where I don't know like what funny is anymore, or I get like really like like freaked out at the fact that it's that easy to make people laugh like what am i doing then like yeah like why are they they're laughing at me i'm judging them but and, they're laughing at me too <laughs> and another fun fact is that i can't help myself sometimes if i end up because i'll end up self-imploding <laughs> after the pandering guy goes up so then i'll end up saying it if they're if they still suck and they're not with me 10 minutes in 12 minutes in into a 15 minute set you know what i do i'll go you guys are fucking stupid you were laughing at the worm thing. You know what I mean? I'll tell yeah, them. I don't even give a fuck. It's not their I won't, fault. I won't call out the comedian before, but I'll mention the one little bits of the door guy and the cover booth guy. Right. And the, you know what I mean? Maybe a buddy in the back hears me. But it's not their fault if they suck. You know, it's like we were talking about before, like, yeah. you know, when you started or when I started, you know, or when you're working on new stuff or when you're taking chances. Like, there's times when you're going to suck. You know, but if that guy sucks and he's killing, it's disconcerting. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you listening, there's not actually a comedian who does the worm. That would oh, be yes, the there is. <laughs> I've seen guys do the worm. I've seen more than one guy do the worm. No way. Fuck yeah. In Boston Dude. or here? Uh, in I, mean, in I saw a guy in New York. <sighs> I've seen guys in L.A. do all kinds of crazy physical shit. There was a bunch of guys that like were trying to make something happen at the comedy store in the 90s and were doing all kinds of wacky physical shit on stage and bringing out props. <laughs> if I saw a guy doing the worm 
at the comedy store. I swear to God, I'd go over to the breakers and I'd shut up all the electricity. <laughs> all of a sudden, the sound and lights would just be out and you would just hear some guy flopping on a wooden stage in front of everybody. Okay, but don't you think there's a guy who might come up with a bit that's perfect for the worm where it's an imperative part of a hilarious bit? And he can be making fun of that asshole who goes out on the dance floor and, and does that. It could be, without a doubt, that could be funny. I could see Brett Ernst killing with the worm. <laughs> Tell me you couldn't. Tell me you couldn't. You remember that bit Tell that he used could. to do about roller skating the rink? The roller That's a blading. fucking hilarious yeah. bit. It's all totally acted out. I could see him doing the worm. As a matter of fact, I might have seen him doing the worm. I bet he's done it. Let's call him. I feel like he. I feel like I have seen. <laughs> <laughs> I think he might have the, the worm bit. He might have done the worm, man. He might have done it. He might have done it with that roller skater guy. It might have been a part of that bit. Yeah. It may have been, but even if it if it was or it wasn't, right. it's was neither here nor there. Yeah. If he did it, it was probably really funny. It's true. It's true. I feel like I feel like Brett Ernst might be one of the only guys that could pull off a good the worm bit. Now that you mention <laughs> it, you know. That's a, well, having a good level of comedy in your town, I think, is fucking, it's real important. But now that the internet's around, it's like those towns are spreading. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you're having good levels. Like, there's little scenes are popping up all over the place. I'm, I There's a scene in South Florida, dude. Mm -hmm. There's a comedy scene in South Florida. Yeah. You know, they're all over the place. Well, when I did Denver, you want to talk about a scene where, you know, having good comedians around, around you, push, pushes you. That was one of those situations where the guy before me wasn't uh, wasn't pandering and wasn't uh, wasn't bad at all. He was great. He was just a great young comic who I'd never seen before mm. and hadn't heard of and wasn't really expecting. You know, what's so, his name? Do you remember? Unfortunately, I don't remember. See if you can find it on your phone. Yeah, I give him give him his props. Yeah, give him his propos. <clears throat> you know, like Nashville's that spot for country music people. They go there and they're surrounded by all this young, hungry talent. And you're seeing these guys that are doing these bar shows and they're fucking murdering it. You know, I know uh, quite a few people that have uh, journeyed to Nashville. Some some have moved there. I know some uh, musicians too, like my friends from Honey Honey. They were uh, living in Nashville. Nashville is truly one of my favorite favorite uh, Towns. cities anywhere. Do you ever do Zanies? Yeah. Fucking did, awesome. Did it once, like, three years ago. Absolutely fell in love. Was amazed yeah. at the fact that, like, everybody in the staff was hanging out. Beautiful mm -hmm. two-story and deep club. Yeah. The green room right next to the stage. You know, it's just perfect. It's perfect. But yeah, the, those clubs, like the Punchline Atlanta, same thing. You mm -hmm. know that? You ever do that spot? No, I've never been to that. Same kind of setup. Almost exact same kind of setup. There's just these killer, fucking, perfect, old-school comedy clubs. You know, those are like the backbone of those communities in neighborhoods. You know, like in uh, cities, rather. If, like, you're in somewhere like San Francisco or somewhere like Atlanta, like, you need a place like that. Like, you need one of those clubs that just has the local scene in it, you know? Mm -hmm. And when those local scenes die, man, that's fucking sad as shit. I think as comics, man, we should really, like, try 
as hard as we can to keep those places open. It's like, you know, everybody always talks about like organic groceries and shit like that. Like, oh, you got to keep these mom and pop shops open and keep these, you know, these goddamn Walmarts are moving in. Like everybody wants like the small, you know, farmer organizations and like things that that represent the working class folks or the middle class folks that, you know, they don't have a giant corporation behind them. Mm-hmm. And that's like these mom and pop comedy clubs. Mom and pop comedy clubs, whether it is uh, the Punchline in San Francisco, which is, you know, it's kind of a part of like Cobbs and those other, it's like it's kind of a part of a big chain now. But even so, like keeping that club there is really important. Like for, for stand-up, the Punchline in Sacramento, keeping that club there is really important for stand-ups. Mm-hmm. You know, these little small clubs that are the lifeblood of the whole, the art form nationwide. Like, without them, God, man. Like, right. how many fucking, how many less comics would there be if there wasn't the Comedy Works yeah. how, in Denver? How many less comics would there be? Cubs. Yeah, God damn it. There'd be so many less comics. Like, you need those fucking clubs. They're, they're like, it's like not having a gym and being a fighter. Like, God, where am I going to train now? But worse, because you can kind of, like, put together a building and start training in it with your friends. If you have some talented friends you know about fighting. But if you're a comic, you need a fucking audience, man. And you need an audience that's not going to be assholes, it's going to let you do your shit. Like tonight. You know, this audience tonight was like this amazing, attentive, really cool, intelligent audience. Yeah, my mind was blown at how different they were. Like, I guess I just didn't realize that I've sort of, in a way, been performing for assholes. assholes. <laughs> For the last eight years, like doing stand-up pretty much every night, what I've been doing, it's like finding out that it's like playing basketball in America on a 10-foot hoop, and then you come over here and it's like, wait, it's a 9-foot hoop. It's just a 9-foot hoop. Yeah. I can really fucking dunk without, you know, or whatever, you know, it's a weird analogy, but... No, I know exactly what you're saying. But it's like, how how, how could it be different? But it is. You think everybody's just a human being and blah-bitty-bah, but no. No, it's not. People can be, people can be, have culture and respect, real respect, man. Like I told you uh, earlier, you know, I mentioned, like, I didn't see a single person's face lit up by their phone once. I saw people taking pictures, which I don't mind at all. But what annoys me is like, and even if it's a theater with 4,000 people, I will see you, you, we, you do. People don't realize how clear it is for us on stage because they're all dark. But like when somebody's looking at their phone, you can <laughs> see them from when we're on stage. We might not always yeah. talk about it or say, hey, I see you because we're in the middle of something or thinking about something. But we can see you if you're on your phone. And I didn't see that once tonight in two shows in a theater. Nobody wants looking at their phone, not to sit, not to even tweet of how much fun they're having. You know, they just, it's just a real respect thing. And I get that that's what people are doing sometimes is, oh, Tony's killing or, oh, Joe's about to go on. You know, they might be tweeting or Facebooking or, you know, then they weren't even tweeting or Facebooking the pictures that they just took. You know what I mean? Well, I it's definitely distracting when you see that phone up yeah. and people are looking at you too while they're, you know, they're holding up a phone mm-hmm. while you're on stage. They're looking at you through the phone. It's like, it's and you want to tell them, like, come on, don't. Just watch the show. Just have fun. Just watch the show. You're you're part of a live performance. Yeah. You know, take it in. Everybody has to record everything. Put it on their Facebook page. Everybody has to. 
they don't just like they're missing out on capturing these moments but you when you capture them you miss out on experiencing them in, yeah. in some way because exactly. it's disjointed this show is not you sitting there and watching the whole performance the show is you sitting there watching the whole performance re reach for your phone unlocking the password finding the camera pointing it no should I have the flash no it's let me true. turn the flash off I think Shit. I think somewhere along the line in the past five or ten years I think everybody forgot the camera guys get paid <laughs> to do what they do. Like, who? Why would you go to? Why would you pay to go to a concert and then do a job that there's a union for? Like, camera guys get paid really well. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, well, they did not try to film the whole thing most of the time, right? They're too much to... of it. Too much of it. I went mm -hmm. to see. Uh, who was it? Oh, it was uh, Lady Gaga at uh, Jimmy Kimmel Live. You know, How dare Don you? has. Well, she's, How dare you? It, it would blow your mind. She's, How dare you? She, no, she's a freak. No dare. How dare you? She actually plays her instruments and stuff. You oh, know, she's she, badass. Oh, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know that, Still, right? how dare you? Oh, yeah. no. It was worth it. <laughs> I, but point is, I was the only person not recording it. I couldn't wow. believe it. There was a thousand hands up in front of me. Like, I mean, I could see and everything because I'm with Don Barris, you know. It's... You know, it's free and it's it's like a mm -hmm. half an hour in the afternoon if you hang with Don and somebody cool's playing. Right. You know, grab a few friends and go watch a quick concert at the Jimmy Kimmel Pontiac Garage, you know, for his ABC show. Well, I think that uh, a girl like her, like super fucking talented, super pop star, that's just reality now. Mm -hmm. Like you're not going to get anybody that just sits and watches a show. Mm -hmm. And it's different, I think, too, with a singer than it is with a comic. You know, I think comedy requires a different amount of focus. Does that make sense? Like a different kind of focus. You have to be paying attention to what the guy says or what the girl says. Yeah. You have to follow it every step of the way. Mm-hmm. It's true. If you miss out on something because you're looking for your phone and then he hits, says a tagline, you're like, what was it? What the fuck is he talking about? Right. Like, you know, you'll see that sometimes where someone misses one part of the joke so they don't understand the second part. Mm-hmm. Because you were trying to Facebook the whole thing. It's yeah. Like, it's so silly. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely doesn't work for comedy. Well, I wonder where that is going to go. Because nobody ever saw this coming. Nobody ever, I mean, if you go back in the day, if you were watching a show or you were uh, watching an audience, rather, from the stage, you know, five, six years ago, and someone had a video camera, and they had the light on the video camera, and they're pointing you right at it. They would kick that guy out. They'd go, mm -hmm. hey, 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 what the fuck, man? <laughs> right. You can't film this. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. You didn't know? You didn't know you can't bring a fucking video camera and film? And they would kick the guy out. Well, you've seen the Google Glasses. That's the future. Yeah. You're not even going to know people are filming. They're just going to be looking at the show, just staring ahead with a dead look on their face. They can do that now. It, you're right. Exactly. They have those better than Google Glass, really. They have those uh, like video camera glasses where the the center where your eyebrow is, there's a lens. It just looks like it's part of the glasses, looks wow. like part of the frame, and you can get like pretty good video from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they can they can do some shit now, man. So I wonder what. I guess there's no getting away from it. You know, it just it's a part of the art form. Yeah. I, did, I pulled a reverse one, a little wild experiment about a month or two ago. I, I wore a GoPro strapped to my chest, 
and went out and did crowd work at the comedy store. And it was fun. I still haven't gotten to see the footage. I've been so slammed, but... That's funny. But I looked at it when right after we first shot it, and it looks cool. I think I really want to maybe, you know, do something down the road fun like that, like a crowd work type of from the comedian's perspective. That's a great idea. Yeah, you could definitely do that. And the, the people, by the way, don't even know. And if they do, then it's already too late. They don't. They won't notice the camera until I've already asked them what their name is or something. You think so? Oh yeah. Does it have a light in the front oh, I, of it? Oh, I had them hook, line, and sinker. No, but I did it in a room where the front's lit just enough, and I knew where they were lit. You know, you can see it. It's I mean, like, a light on it, like where it shows red when it's uh -uh. recording. No. No. Or, <laughs> I think there was, but we put a piece of electrical tape over it. <laughs> I think that's illegal. Really? I think so. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> covering up the tape, <clears throat> covering up the red lights. The well, I think part. if you're filming that's someone, why they, they have, have to know you're filming them. That's why they have that there. I never really thought of that before. <laughs> I swear to God, I never thought of that. That is so crazy. Yeah. Well, some states it's okay. Like like some states, like I think Nevada at least used to have wacky laws. Which is why they used to do that show Crank Yankers there. Mm -hmm. They used to do that in Nevada because you could make prank phone calls, and if one person was in on it, it would be fine, you know, with with audio, you know. So you, you they were allowed to make those ridiculous phone calls where they'd have puppet people calling other puppet people. It was a genius show. Brilliant. I I don't know why they stopped doing that. I mean, maybe it's like there's a liability issue or. People didn't want to hear their voice on TV, but I think Jimmy may have gone straight from there to tonight his show. Yeah, it could be, could be. Yeah, I think it was that long ago. I don't see that show anymore. How come it doesn't air on anything anymore? Crank Yankers. Yeah, I don't know. Is it online? I'm not sure. We should probably that was look old while we're talking. Central royalty. <clears throat> we're talking to these people. All right. I used to prank call people a lot. I used to love doing that shit, including really? my own family. Oh, yeah. I'd get everybody. That was one of the things, one of the few pranking, like, like, like Dennis the Menace things that I was really into. Dennis the Menace. Other than oh just God. making fun of people. That's, that's so dated. Dennis yeah. the Menace. That's a funny thing. So right now in Stockholm, what time is it? We are looking at... It's like 3 in the morning. It's 3.01. 3.01. Jesus fucking Christ. 3.01. We're doomed. We will not sleep. Mm-mm. Oh. <sighs> it's just not going to happen. Okay, Crank Yankers. Are you guessing yes or no? Are you guessing it's online? Um, There's got to be On clips. YouTube? You say YouTube? Maybe. Let's say let's go with video... Yep, Whoa, there it is. Heck yeah. Best of special. Yeah, okay, that's good. Dave Chappelle does online. cranking because I didn't know did he? he did it. Yeah. Adam Carolla. Yeah, beautiful. Good. So it's out there. <clears throat> I just wondered that, wondered whether or not there was a liability issue. Like, because you're doing it with people that don't know that you're doing it. Like, maybe the law changed and that's why they had to stop doing it. But apparently they could still. Put those at least on YouTube. Who knows? They might be illegally on YouTube. That's possible. Could be. Yeah, I was never much of a prank guy, man. I never really uh, enjoyed those, but I did love the Jamie Kennedy experience. You ever watched Jamie Kennedy experience? Yeah. That was a fucking funny show, dude. Yeah. The he one had where some they hilarious sketches. The one where they had the little guy dressed like a mouse underneath the kitchen thing. You remember that? Oh yeah. <laughs> 
people freaked out. <laughs> they really thought there was a giant human-looking mouse that's coming at right. them. That's right. That's my favorite one. That's really the only one I remember. What's the one that stands out to you from it? Uh, guys Gone Nuts. What they happened? Were, uh, they, they recruited these guys at a nightclub, and it was going to be the next Girls Gone Wild. But it's gonna be called Guys Got Nut Guys Gone Nuts. <laughs> and so they took these guys and they made them like do all these like sexy things. And then as the sh you know, as it, they dragged them deeper and deeper, it's gonna be worldwide, it's gonna be a huge, huge, huge show. We're gonna have we're gonna launch, you know, with this and that, blah blah blah. Um, they started getting them to do gay stuff. <laughs> oh and they God. started getting them to admit, like, you know, if you had to you know, if you, you know, it's because making it and not making it, you have to suck a guy's dick. Like, are you cool with that? Like, and wow. I don't exactly know how far they went with it, but I remember it was unbelievable that those guys signed releases. Like, I couldn't believe they got them to sign releases because they were essentially saying that they would be gay prostitutes for it all to take off. You know, they're going to make a certain amount of money and, you know, he's, he's like telling them how much money they're going to make. <laughs> would you be willing to for a hundred grand? Hey. You'd be willing to suck a guy's dick for a hundred grand. Oh like, you know, sometimes God. you're they want to, you know. Oh, these poor guys. It's just like really, really ridiculous shit. You know what they do? They get them to sign the release before. <sighs> that's how they do it. Oh, that's so wrong. Oh, yeah. So the poor guys, they think they're there for. That's a false premise, though. If they're getting them to sign a release for one thing, but really they're using it as a hidden camera show, like they're it's a parody. They tried to get me for that on something one time. Same thing. I didn't sign it though. I didn't sign it because I I knew it was coming. Oh really? What yeah. was it? It was this horrendous, horrendous thing. It was basically that exact type of a, uh, well not that exact type of prank, but the that same type of thing where they booked me for a gig. But it ended up being a reality TV show. They booked me. They wanted to book me for a stand-up gig at a comedy club during the day for a private gig. But what it really was was it was a prank, and I was supposed to walk in, and the crowd wasn't going to laugh at me, and uh, they didn't give up. They they didn't care about me, and it was supposed to bother me. <laughs> but. I didn't sign the release before because they're like, here, sign this piece of paper for this corporate party that we're hiring you for, you know, for a few hundred bucks or whatever. And I'm like, why would I ever sign a release for that? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't I just go do the comedy and why would I have to sign anything? And I had a feeling that this, that something like this was coming, you know? It's not like anybody told me that somebody was going to be setting me up on a right. reality show because... That would be wrong if somebody legally told me that, if they had that information. But I just had a feeling that something like that was going to happen. Something was amiss. Yes. So I said no. Sure enough, uh, I go up there. I do my opening line. Nothing. But what's crazy <laughs> is that these shows, they can't hire good actors. You know? Right. So I'm looking at the audience, reading them like a book. And they're, they're rolling their eyes after this hilarious joke that works, you know, 100% of the time that I've ever done it. It'll get at least half the crowd laughing, no matter what. But they're rolling their eyes and <clears throat> clearing their throats and all this stuff. Overacting. So I immediately, completely overacting. I immediately go, oh, I see what this is. 
You're all a bunch of really bad actors. And there's cameras on me right now, aren't there? And they're probably going to come out any second, huh? And sure enough, camera guy, camera guy, and I walk. And I negotiated with them a crazy <laughs> thing afterwards because they had to shoot it. They had all these people. They had a whole crew that was in the whole big prank was built around me they had no plan b and i knew they needed me and i knew i didn't sign and i knew how that shit works because i've been a segment producer on a comedy central show <laughs> i've been a writer and a producer for the last three or four years so i know that shit i knew when i saw that flyer i'm like ooh, i'm about to have a payday so how much do they have to pay you Honest to God, you really want to know? Yeah, what, what were they supposed to pay you? What did they want to pay you? They wanted to pay me five, I think it was $300. It was 300 bucks. Yeah, I remember that because I couldn't believe that they were really going to try to make an ass out of me for 300 bucks. And they easily could have had I signed. Yeah, but it would your material would have gotten on television too. Right. For 300 bucks. That's really crazy. So well, not only that. But my material, getting on TV for 300 bucks, and it failing, yeah. not getting any laughs. That's so arrogant that they would think that you would do that. Exactly. So, what I ended up negotiating was I do none of my actual material. I'll go back up there, and I'll pretend like, you know, I'll play along like, oh, man, this is a really rough set, you know, but like, I knew I was going to play it sarcastically. Everybody, the few people who saw it, because it was just some chintzy dumb thing, but the few people that saw it that knew me were all like, Tony, that is the funniest thing I've ever seen you do because everything I'm saying was sarcastic and it like, oh man, this is really, really rough. I don't know how I'm going to, you know. And, obvious. Super right, obvious. so I gave no material away. And in 20 minutes, I made more money than I ever made in 20 minutes. I made $5,000 because I negotiated. What did you start up. with? 10000 Whoa. Which, like, made their heads just spin. <laughs> and I knew that was what I was doing, too. It was fun because, you know what? It's one of the only times in my life that I actually got to really do that. I, I, I knew my worth, and I got to really <laughs> throw it out there. They go, they go, so, Tony, what are we going to do? I go... You're going to give me $10,000 for 20 minutes of work, and I'm not doing any of my jokes. Um, uh, well, well, we got to talk because uh, but I'm looking around, and I'm seeing they have, must have a crew of like 20 or 30 people. Not to mention, not to mention, because it's a corporate party they had me on, not to mention <sighs> the 60 or 70 actors that they have in there that they're paying by the hour and mind you they saw me i already walked out so now they're panicking because they're about to go into overtime right and plus the crew of 20 or 30 plus the lunch the banquet the location the me the everything they needed me and i <laughs> knew it and it's the only time it's ever been like that you know in this, oh, that's in amazing. this business and in comedy like everybody's sort of replaceable you know what i mean if i can't do something they'll get the next best i mean not for that but if they get if i can't do something for the roast they have the a whole nother team of yankees roast writers just waiting for right. the next spot and things like that. And stand-up comedy? Shit. I'm not at the comedy store for a week, and they don't even notice. Right. There's so many young comedians to take my spot. But boy, did I know I had <laughs> position in that situation. And it was priceless. <clears throat> and I needed the money. And it wow. was a rough time, and I needed it. 
And I remember being ecstatic the whole way home. I could not believe it. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it was great. Oh, I love it. That's a great story. That's yeah. like a Hollywood happy ending. And what's crazy is that it was all supposed to be a prank on me. But I ended up That's making funny. the person pulling the prank look like an idiot. The reality, scumbag reality TV producers <sighs> that, uh, you know, that screw people over for the 300 bucks that it was going to be <clears throat> all the time. Uh, I, I, I got them good. I got everybody. It was great. Yeah, those shows can be brutal, man. That show that I did, game show in my head, I did an under camera, uh, undercover uh, camera, hidden camera show for uh, CBS. And they, people wore an earpiece, and I would tell them they would go, have to go out and do things. And, like, they you know, have to get people to attempt to do something. This one guy, in order to win, he had to uh, go out there in his underwear, and he had to get dressed. He had, he had a certain amount of time. <clears throat> But all he had on was his underwear. He had to convince people that someone kicked him out of his house. He couldn't tell them he was on a game show. He had to convince them in some way to give him their clothes. So people gave him pants, they gave him shirts, and they gave him a shoe. Like, he actually did it. The guy actually pulled it off. It was fucking incredible. And it was in a shitty neighborhood. Like, he was in a super sketchy neighborhood to do something like this. Yeah. And this guy is, like, wearing, you know, like he's, he's doing it. He's actually wearing the guy's shoes. He's doing it. He's getting it. Like, he got, the guy gave him shoes. He had no clothes on. He was in his underwear. You know, um, and you know, he won like I don't remember how many thousand dollars he won. But we had a girl. Like a fun show to host. It was a great show to yeah. host. We had a girl who uh, talked a guy into marrying her. She had to talk a guy into marrying her. She had to say that her um, her family's there, and that they've never met her fiance. And the guy stood him up, but the family's there. Will you marry me? And the guy was like, All right. And she was hot, and so the guy was like, Okay. And so they brought this fucking guy into this like area where all these people were they were all seated they were all ready ready for the wedding and he fucking married her and he came up with some fake you know shit that he made up he had to make up his own vows i mean it was, it was incredible it was wow. fucking incredible we had this one guy set up shop in the middle of uh, hollywood right on uh, hollywood and uh, la brea like that area and he had to pretend that he was a newscaster that was brought to the scene because there was a UFO sighting. But the witness for the UFO sighting took off. So he has to convince people to tell him that they've seen a UFO and explain the whole story in detail. And he has to get them to say that they were probed, that they were taken aboard the spaceship and probed by aliens. And people just did it like that. Wow. They just did it. Put the That's... That's one thing that changed my entire opinion about those UFO sightings, all those news reports and stuff like that. There's certain people that if you put a camera in front of them and you start talking to them about something, they will just – they will – whatever you want them to say, they'll say it just so they can be on camera. Mm -hmm. So these people were making up all this crazy shit about being taken aboard the spaceship and all the – what color lights were there? Were there lights on it? And they make these stories up like off the top of their head. And they all did it. Like almost everybody did it. And I remember thinking, wow. So all these shows that you're watching when you're hearing some guy talk about seeing Bigfoot in his backyard or some guy who was taken aboard a UFO, the amount of people that are just out and out bullshitting right. because the camera's point out, it has to be considered. It might not be all of them. I mean, some people hearing this might be offended because something actually really did happen to them. And I'm not doubting that. But what I'm saying is the amount of people that are willing to lie is probably a lot more than we think it is. Mm -hmm. You get a camera on motherfuckers, they will just lie. Yeah. You know?
it's it, it like it ruined my my impressions of uh, these experiences that people are having. I, I started immediately like questioning all of them immediately going, oh, there's like a psychological desire to be on that television show that for whatever, whatever, like that feeds that certain aspect of your brain or excites that certain aspects of your brain. So people are willing to, they're willing to do all kinds of things like that they wouldn't do. They make sacrifices. They, they, they'll be deceptive. Like they'll change their, they'll, they'll lie. They'll just fabricate a reality just in order to have that camera pointed on them. That's yeah. how powerful it is to some people. I think the people also, they want to feel like something special could happen to them. Oh yeah. You know, definitely. Like, Oh yeah. The UFO totally came and got me totally wanted to see what was up my butt. Yeah. You know what I mean, Oh yeah. Well, there's all these, a lot of them have these delusions of grandeur attached to them where if you listen to them, they'll say, they told me that I must let the world know that our path is disastrous yeah. and that if we do not change the way we live within the next 50 years, they will come down and they will shut down all of our nuclear power plants and disable our defense systems and then they will come down and feed off of it. I mean, like, like that you must listen to me, that whole like this thing that people do when they're delusional and they want to be super special. So like you get chosen by a god or you get chosen by aliens. Like you're not deemed as special by your actions or your words or your intellect or your ideas. No, you're deemed as special because someone from up on high came down and gave you the secret knowledge that like Moses, you have to now disseminate amongst all these poor fucks that haven't met the space god. You know, they are coming. Trust me, it is real. And that's what people have always done. They've yeah. always like said, like, because people are like, man, I don't know if I should trust you. You must. It is our only hope. And like, there's a lot of people that right. play that card and do that, do that shit. And it's real confusing. Like, so I've gotten people have been ang actually angry at me for my take on UFOs and uh, my skepticism when it comes to UFOs. Even like good friends, like Eddie Bravo got mad at me because I just, I just, he believes way more than I believe. And it's not that I don't believe. I believe without a doubt there's life out there in the universe. Right. I think most likely, not only without a doubt do I think there's most life, most uh, likely life, I think there's most likely human life. I think the human organism in this form that we exist in, it probably is a natural occurrence if you have the right conditions. Mm -hmm. If you have the right temperature and the right amount of time and the right amount of asteroidal impacts that kill all the right amount of lizards, right. you know, like the dinosaurs and shit. I think like humans are probably an inevitable occurrence. Yeah. If you have enough time and the universe has been around for 14 billion right. years and if you have enough potential planets and there's like an infinite number of potential planets. There's so many planets that there's literally no end to the right. possibility of there being a planet that's next to a sun, that's in the right spot, that has a moon that's large, so its orbit's stable and its temperature allows these animals to grow. They figure it out agriculture, they build a wheel. Like all that stuff almost seems inevitable. Well, yeah, it would just be like selfish to think that we're the only bacteria that can evolve. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like what are we? We're nothing but 
uh, we're nothing but a sea monkey. Mm -hmm. We just have a really fucking big brain. And yeah. we didn't always have that big brain. It just kept getting more and more powerful. So, like, yeah, we're like water and oxygen and mm -hmm. stuff. Carbon. But even the other planets, whatever they have, mm -hmm. how selfish to think that their gases and whatever is there in those temperatures can't have their own evolution mm -hmm. of bacteria that eventually, why wouldn't it grow a brain if it's evolving? You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it's like, so. And there's plenty of evidence that no life doubt. on Earth evolves in places where we never suspected it could. Like those underwater volcanic vents that cause these strange microbes to grow and these weird sea creatures grow around there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of possibility. But my take has always been there's never been any compelling evidence that there's anything other than people. So it might be people. Mm -hmm. I mean, it might be people from a million years from now that have become something else where they're not people anymore. And our idea about what a big brain is is really relative. Our idea of what a powerful brain is is only like compared to a monkey. Compared yeah. to a monkey, I'm smart as shit. Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll talk circles around that monkey. I know about the, I know how long that monkey will be alive for. It doesn't understand lifespans. It doesn't know what the fuck is going on. It doesn't even have a language. They have a few weird crude noises like this means eagle that eats you. You know, this is, they're fucking, they're monkeys, man. But there's, it's really possible and really, you know, probably pretty likely that there's something out there that's at least as smart to us as we are to monkeys. Mm -hmm. There's just so many planets, man. Yeah. There's so many. It's almost like, come on, what are the odds that there's not? Right. There's too many. There's the, to say that it's impossible, or to say that you don't believe it, with the amount of space that's in the universe. Yeah. To me, seems so goofy. Anybody who thinks there's not has the universe all mixed up. It's, they, it's too big. They must think that what the they must think that the stars that they see when they look out on a clear night is everything. Yeah. Without looking that you know. That we're just part of the Milky Way, and the Milky Way is just a tiny little thing compared to everything around it. Yeah. Hundreds of billions of Milky Ways yeah. or bigger galaxies. And each, they think that, I don't know if this is still true anymore because these guys are always changing this stuff. Like they're always, they have these new discoveries, and some people are actually challenging the notion of black holes now. But if they, if they still abide by this, they, they had come up with this equation that every galaxy had a supermassive black hole in the center of it. And that supermassive black hole was one half of 1% of the mass of the galaxy. The bigger the galaxy, the bigger the black hole. And if that's true, and that inside each one of those black holes is potential new universes with new laws of physics, with new realities, like there's, it's real, real possible that there's something else out there. But... And this is the big but. And this is what the fucking UFO believers, the true believers that jump to it like, like it's a religion. They want to believe that it's already been here. And I say, maybe, but I don't see any evidence. I don't see anything, man. I don't see anything that's compelling to me that says we've been definitely visited by something from another planet. I see some really super compelling shit that show that people some way figured out to make some unbelievable buildings thousands and thousands of years ago, like the Egyptians and all the ancient Sumer shit and uh, the, the people that have figured out like way before we, you know, we just don't know how the fuck they did it. And they made these immense stone creations. And it's way more likely 
that they were just really smart and that, that civilization is cyclical. Like that's what Graham Hancock thinks. Mm -hmm. That's what John Anthony West thinks. These guys, they think that like we achieve these great heights and then shit falls apart and then we have to rebuild. And today, to this day, we see these things that like they had these um, these uh, nuclear scientists. They changed the doomsday clock yesterday. The doomsday clock has been five minutes to midnight since like the 1980s. And they moved it to three minutes to midnight. They moved it up like two minutes. And that's a huge deal. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the idea is like, hey, we are really close to wiping ourselves out. Whether it's a threat from North Korea's nukes or Russia's nukes or Pakistan nuking India, which turns the whole world into nuclear winter or fucking natural disasters or pollution or that's, global warming. That's the one. It's you, all the above. You just said, I mean, it's definitely all of the above. Any of that other stuff can happen, but there is no doubt. You look at re what's really happening in China. I watch. Oh, I, 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 I got to piss off that thought right okay. now. I hate to do this, man, but I fucked up and had a beer earlier. And my bladder's killing me. All good. Yeah, give me one second. Oh, shit, we already did an hour and 20. Pause. We're back. I had to pee so bad. Ladies and gentlemen, I almost peed my little pants. Really? No. That would have been epic. No. That's ridiculous. Who pees their pants? You only pee your pants if you get like, stuck in a car or something. I did. I was stuck in a car, and I had trouble the other night. Very recently. In fact, I think it was the night before we flew. Really? Yeah, it was Tuesday night. I was coming home from the store. One of those nights where... I ended up getting stuck in a bunch of conversations with people, and there you go. Next thing you know, I'm like cussing. Like, oh, you gotta be fucking kidding me when you're I get just a about red to light. Burst. Totally. There was no <laughs> bottles. That thing where like you're just panicking. I'm thinking like, what am I even gonna do? Do I pull it out to the side and pee on my car floor? Like it's just emergency panic. I was I was in a busy street, so I couldn't just get out. You know what's the best thing to pee in your car? Huh. Kombucha bottles. <laughs> Because <laughs> they have a big mouth. Yeah. You know, those those GT's kombucha? Yeah. They have a nice fat mouth so you can stuff your dick in there. Mm -hmm. It's not like a Coke bottle. Right. Like, you could do it with a Coke bottle, but you got to be accurate. Yeah, and you have to have a... You have a to, seal. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, not even a seal. You have to... It's weirder than that. You have to have a seal with your pee hole, mm -hmm. but you also have to have, like, the top open on the top. Like, you have to not have a seal, because if you have a seal, it actually just blows right back at you. Oh, yeah. In yeah. That way, yeah. Yeah. You got to have it a little space. Yeah, which is, like, impossible to have yeah. a little space and not pee all over your tiny, bottle. Tiny little space. <laughs> yeah, you're better off with, like, a Gatorade bottle. They could stuff your yes, junk in it. exactly. Yeah. Or just a bucket. I, mean, I filled one of those before, though. I filled a Gatorade thing once. Mm -hmm. I had to piss so bad. I just started peeing in the Gatorade thing at a red light. I yeah. just kept driving. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky I wasn't driving a stick shift. You yeah. know, I just peeing in that thing all I was driving. Right. <laughs> That's one thing that guys have. The, girl, the girls can't do that for whatever reason. Yeah. It's, it's a fucking shit genetic roll of the dice. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't, you can't, well, they could pee standing up if they just want to make a mess. Yeah, that, that's just weird. Have you seen that thing that they wear? There's like a thing that they develop for women where they could pee standing up it's like you put it in your underwear and it pokes out and like you piss into it and it comes out like a funnel no. it's like a funnel for your vagina why yeah. would anybody need that because girls want to be able to pee in the woods just like guys can wow 
<laughs> Let me ask you a question. Uh oh. Would if if you had do you know how a tampon works? Like if you were a woman and you had to and your period was about to start, like would you know what to do with that thing? No. I me neither. Get, I don't know how it goes in. Me neither. I have no idea. Well you're lucky. You don't have to know. Don't you sort of want to know, like out of curiosity? <laughs> Maxi pads to me seem to be like much more well, that's every guy. If we had periods, we would all just use maxi pads. Yeah. We know that. We just slop it up and it seems wipe it. To be more straightforward. <laughs> yeah. It's like the problem with. I remember from the early days of my youth hearing about toxic, toxic shock syndrome, yeah. which is something that women can get if they leave a tampon in their body for too long. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember hearing that women have died from that. And I'm like, what? Wait a minute. You can die from having a tampon that you leave in your body? Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Super crazy, because I thought it was just cotton. No. Well, I mean, it is, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's like, I think part of it is your body's reaction to something being in there, some yeah. body, and it creates an infection. I think that's part of it. Crazy. Yeah, I wonder how long women have left them in there when they had to, they, when they died. I mean, that sounds... I had a girlfriend that forgot she had one in, or she had a part of one in, like, or something like that, and I was fingering her. Huh? And no. uh, I found it, and I pulled it out, and she was so embarrassed. I bet. But I wasn't embarrassed at all. I was like, right. it doesn't matter. It's like a tampon. Like, you stick it in there, like, shit breaks off. Like, it's right. not like you had a rodent in there. Yeah. Like, I was digging my finger in there, and I found a grasshopper. <laughs> like, like, no. That would be tough. It's supposed to be in there. It's yeah. a tampon. Like, yeah. what am I, like, a, a fucking baby, and I'm going right. to pretend that you don't have a... A tampon in your vagina every now and again? Like, it seems pretty straightforward. She seems pretty normal. That's interesting. She was so bummed out. Especially since it was half a tampon. Like, where'd the other half go? I don't know, man. I don't think all tampons are created equally. <laughs> you know? Some of them are probably shitty. They're like like tires. Like, mm -hmm. there's better tires. Like, yeah. you can't just buy tires, you know? So yeah. If you have a race car, especially, you want to make sure you get good tires. Like, instead of Goodyear, it's good week. So if you got, like... It's a period joke. Like, Kotex... You know, good week, nothing on that. Good year, good week, tires. I think I'm running on fumes. Mm. Cotex, Vag Plus. You know, there's probably some ridiculous tampon names that were just yeah. bandied about back in the day, and they had some bargain tampons. I mean, yeah. for a woman, it's like it's just soaking up blood. Right. You know, I mean, I feel like at one point in time, do you skimp? Like, where, where are you going to, like, cut corners? Well, it seems like it's just a fucking you know, it a just rag started just stuff one, up there. One guy at a festival or fair just like, get your get your plug fillers here, ladies. You know, it just must have started some barker. Yeah, who did invent the tampon? Okay, let's guess. I'm looking, I'm yeah. looking that up. You want to you wanna guess? Yeah, this? yeah, before we look it up, let's okay. guess. I'm going to say 1800s. I'm going to say, I feel like 1870-something. Along those lines. All right, I'll say uh, I'll say nineteen ten. Wow. Okay. Let's ask this too before we go even go. What the fuck did they use before they had a tampon? Whoa. Mm. I'm gonna guess that same funnel that you were talking about earlier <laughs> that they put in their underwear. The year the tampon. They could pee like boys. Was invented. All right, here we go. This could really I'm sorry. What'd you anything. say again? What was your your guess? Uh, 19-something. 19, 19 1910, 1920. All right, let's see. You do, said do, 1870, do, do, do. right? Yeah. Let's see. 
Whoa, there's some fucking old school ones. Tampon is a cylindrical mass of absorbent material primarily used as a feminine hygiene product. What do you mean primarily? Jeez, what else? What are else? Are they they <laughs> the fuck other things? Nosebleeds? All right, history. Let's go with history. Mm, okay. Jews have used tampons during menstruation for thousands of years. What? Whoa. We are so wrong. In her book, Everything You Must Know About Tampons in 1981, what? Adam Sandler. Okay, we might have gotten fucked here. Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler? Yeah, that's Adam Sandler. That is the same Adam Sandler? No. It can't be. And well, maybe he wrote a book. But why does it say in her book? It says in her book. Fucking Wikipedia, yeah. Somebody's fucking with you, man. What? That's the problem with Wikipedia. See, right there. Like, Wikipedia says I'm five feet tall. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was because on the crazy. podcast once, we were calling Siri and asking Siri, how tall is Joe Rogan? And mm -hmm. they, they don't know how tall I am, but they know, like, how tall Tom Cruise is. It's like a common question. Kanye West, it's a common question. And mm -hmm. I said, you want to be just famous enough so Wikipedia doesn't know how tall you are. Like, yeah. that's, that's, like, the perfect amount of fame. And then some... Jerkoffs put in that I was five feet tall. <laughs> so now if you check it, it says five feet tall. Um, yeah, this is, I can't trust this. Yeah, it, it says said that Adam Dr. Sandler. Seth Rogen underneath that. Did, Did you it? see that? No. I've never seen. Uh, yeah, Dr. Seth Rogen. I like I've it. never seen Patented a Wikipedia article this. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Patented the first modern tampon, Tampax. Okay. Somewhere along the line, somebody fucked this up. So let's see. We'll go to another website and see if someone has... That's the problem with Whoa, Wikipedia. Whoa, 1929! Wow. 1931 was the uh, patent. 1929, the tampon with applicator. Yeah, so what did you guess? You guessed early 1900s, right? 1920s. You guessed 20s, perfect. Or 10s, maybe I said 1910s. Either way, time. you nailed it. 1929, wow. the modern tampon with applicator was first invented and patented by Dr. Earl Haas who wanted to invent a tampon that could be effectively mass-produced. Earl Haas filed for his first tampon pattern patent in November 19th, 1931. Hmm. Okay. That's amazing. So Tampax was the original tampon. That's his company. No, it was not. The ancient Egyptians invented the first disposable tampons made from softened papyrus. The ancient Greeks invented tamp tampons made from lint. <clears throat> wrapped around a small piece of wood Ew. recorded in writing by Hippo Hippocrates. Hippocrates. How do you say that? Hippocrates. Hippocrates. Right. Like, hippo like hypocrite. No. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Um, Hippocrates in the 5th century BC. Other materials used for the first tampons include wood, paper, vegetable fibers, sponges, grass, and later cotton. Jeez, so imagine being the, the broke... Slut that uses grass as a tampon. <laughs> <laughs> the broke slut. That's so rude. You're slut shaming. So the modern tampon with applicator was what was invented in 1929. So they've been they've been they really have been using it forever. Because if it was ancient Egyptians, that's like thousands of years ago. Yeah. You know, I mean, ancient Egyptian. We we think of ancient Egypt. We a lot of times we think of like the building of the pyramids, 2500 BC, like that. That was ancient. Yeah. That's crazy. They dealt with a whole different kind of period. Yeah, they were probably like very musky. Yeah. Very animalistic sort oh, of yeah. smell. All that work. Ugh. 
Yikes. Do you think those people got tampons? They didn't even get tampons. Those are the workers. The tampons for like Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. And those people. You know, those people got the fucking softened papyrus. The workers, they just got red leg. <laughs> so that's what they called it back then when it would just roll right down you. There's yeah. nothing you're going to do about it. Yeah. Um, just dealing with another case of the red leg. It was just a green light to shoot live loads into a chick and not worry about her getting pregnant. Yeah, party. <laughs> red means go. But back then they wanted everybody to get pregnant. People were constantly, I don't think people were trying to not get pregnant back then. Yeah, they looked at it as more workers. It was like all just a machine, right? I think people died real easy back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least like the Roman times. Like yeah. The, you know, they say that during the the Rome era, the Roman era, that um, infant mortality was like 50%, yeah. which is insane. I think a half the kids dying. Not and to then, mention, they make it to being a teenager, and then they're putting a piece of wood with lint all over it inside <laughs> their vagina. <laughs> like, I don't know what's worse. It's probably polished up. Oof. Nice polished wood. Just lint? to soak up all the juices. Yikes. Like, what was their lint? What's old lint? <sighs> like, the lint we're used to is, like, lint, like, good lint from fabrics. Well, they had fabrics. They had silk. I would imagine their lint is probably pretty similar to our lint. Hmm. I bet they, uh, I mean, they're all, they wove fabric. If you get like a woven shirt, you know, from like a, one of those Native American, you know, they, they see those things that they use. They're mm-hmm. pulling the threads across and pushing them down and weaving a shirt. If you had someone make you a sweater like that, you're going to get some lint off that shit. You roll that lint up, stuff it up your clam. Ooh. Yikes. There you go, son. <laughs> yeah, that's um a weird design. That nature just makes a pussy bleed out like that. Yeah. It's that's really something else. I mean, wow. Blood. Once a week. Like a clock. <clears throat> I mean once a month. I wonder if that's gonna be the case um in the future. I wonder if that will be something that's like like how hairy people used to be. Harry mm-hmm. primates used to be. We slowly moved away from that. I wonder if that's the next thing that we move away from, like period blood and balls on the outside, all the weird shit that we still have. Like, yeah. the, the, oh, well, balls are very important for regulating temperature. Yeah, really? Yeah. I mean, how often are we regulating temperature? Unless you're a mountain bike rider. You're out there fucking sweating your dick off in the middle right. of the forest. Right. Most of the time, we're fine. Yeah. Most of the time, we're air-conditioned. We're in, you know, heated houses. I wonder if, like, eventually your balls just start slowly creeping their way back up to your body cavity. Because, like, temperature regulation is not that much of an issue. Mm-hmm. They're like, we got good news and we got bad news. Billy's balls are not visible. But they're there. <laughs> and he might be the first of his kind to have his balls inside his body. And look at it this way. I mean, how many times have you been kicked in the balls? Billy doesn't have to worry about that. See, he has a very rare mutation where he has a turtle shell inside of his scrotal cavity, and his balls suck up to the turtle shell. They hang out in there. This turtle shell is made of the same thing as your fingernails. Like that's like the first kid born with balls inside of his body. It's the way of the future. They get him some of those rubber balls that dudes hang off the back of their pickup trucks because he feels bad about it in the locker room, and they glue them to the underside of his dick. One day it falls off. And everybody's like, he's got no balls. He dropped it, his balls. And they all get angry at him, yell at him, and he cries and he runs home. And then the doctor has to come to school and give a lecture. <laughs> he has balls. They're inside. Like yours should be too. 
He is the new. He is the new breed. It only makes sense. Balls in, penis out. That that stays the same. Periods could probably end. How about if the penis was retractable? Like a fucking car antenna. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like a car antenna. I think that's, I mean, that's the way of the future. You know, you don't really see car antennas anymore. <laughs> it doesn't work out. It doesn't work out. You have them all flush to the body yeah. until it gets hard. Then yeah. clink. Mm-hmm. It comes out, you know? Yeah. I mean, if we're circumcising kids anyway, might as well give them the no, whole no, hookup. No, 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 no. Don't do that. You don't let it happen naturally. You can't force kids to have their dick push up inside their body. That's just rude. Oh, you got to get it like as a 16 or 18-year-old, do you mean? It's just got to be something that nature slowly evolves. Oh, right. I see what you're saying. <laughs> um, I'm already picturing the robotic arm that can really give it a boost. Or maybe like at least a little case, like a little yeah. metal pouch that doors open and close. Like, imagine this. Imagine you put your hands on your hips, like with your fingertips like pointed towards your cock, mm-hmm. and you have a thumb on each hip, and mm-hmm. you have a button on each side. And yeah. if you hold the two of them together at the same time in the same exact spot, your dick just goes clink. It's rock it. hard. I comes out. That's that's the new shit. You Heck know. Yeah, that's perfect. You know how you have like touch screen on your phone mm-hmm. and you can kind of touch certain spots and it activates different areas of the phone mm-hmm. that's what it would be like it's like all you have to do is you have to have the two things at the same time like one thumb on one side one thumb on the other side bink your dick just gets hard so it's like you're presenting like you're standing there like that right to a gallon like bink a, like a turkey i mean think about it now we have pills that allow you to get hard on like deep into your 90s yeah. <laughs> there's dudes that can get boners like, well beyond the year of the natural boner. Right. You know? It's crazy. Like, anybody. But, There's guys that, like, their heart stops beating for seven minutes, but they get a boner during yeah. that time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just their dick throbbing. It's, I mean, it, it, blood's just passing through shit. They yeah. can figure out a way to do it. But imagine if it was, like, on demand. Oh. Like, if they passed all that pill stuff. Like, you don't need the pill anymore. We have enabled the uh, genetic activation of your arousal, your arousal glands kick up. Not only does it make your dick hard, it makes it feel better. Right. So you're gonna press these buttons and clink, and you just have this just rock hard boner. Mm-hmm. It's gonna happen eventually. <laughs> you're gonna be able to do it from your phone. Yeah, most likely. You won't even need your phone anymore. Right. Most likely, we'll be reading each other's minds. Yeah. Those futurist dudes think that they think we're gonna get to the point where we're gonna have some sort of an implant, and we just all read each other's minds. That that's inevitable. I think it's definitely going to start with glasses. I think it's going to keep getting more Star Wars-y than people think. Yeah. I think it's going to be like glasses and sort of like motorcycle helmets, but not as heavy as motorcycle helmets, you know, like just mm-hmm. those lenses, very Stormtrooper-esque. I think it's going to be, you know, not that clunky, though. You haven't either. seen the new Microsoft thing, have you? Microsoft has a new thing that they just released, or they just released a video about it. And it's this hologram technology where you put on goggles, like those um, Oakley sunglasses, you know, mm-hmm. that go over, like, like maybe ski goggles is a good way to look at it. Mm-hmm. You put on these goggles, and the world in front of you becomes a desktop. Like on the wall, you can put your photos, you can watch movies. It's all holograms. Everything is done through holograms. So while you have these goggles on, you uh, sit in front of your screen. You like literally do like that, and your screen appears. Are they out yet? No, no. But they they released a video, 
I'll show you the video because it's a mind fuck. It's a mind fuck because you watch the video and you go, whoa, this is real, man. This is something that's already like on the pipeline. It's already being made. Mm -hmm. Microsoft hologram. Here's something crazy. I was uh, watching um, or listening to the Nerdist podcast and he had Bill Gates on. Okay. Really? Pretty fucking badass. But anyway, he's in the middle of talking about something. And um, he's talking to Bill Gates and another voice, not Bill Gates, goes, uh, we'd really like to get back to that letter that we were talking about earlier. And um, Chris Hardwick goes, yeah, well, that's kind of how podcasts work. You know, you flow in and out of conversation. Yeah, but it'd be great if we could really get back to that letter now. Like he's directing Hardwick on the podcast. And Hardwick says, yeah, sure, okay. Like he, he, he has to listen to this guy because that's how he got Bill Gates there. But this guy is so fucking arrogant. He's like directing the conversation between Hardwick and Gates. And he's not even in the podcast. And I don't know if this guy thinks they're going to edit it out or what. But he just gets up and like tells them, like, like to get back to that letter. And Bill Gates doesn't say anything. Bill Gates doesn't say, oh, that's not really important. Let's just talk. Let's have a good time. He lets the guy say it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he tries to say, yeah, yeah okay, well, you know, we'll oh, it'll be great if we get back to that. Like, he's just like, like, there's no options here. We're going to get back to that. That's what I want you to talk about. That's why he's here. Wow. And I'm like, ew. Somebody pointed out on my message board. I'm like, man, was it really that blatant? Yep, it was really that blatant. It was fucking gross. And Hardwick handled it really well. But it's like, come on, man. You can't, like, if if you walk in the middle of a, a podcast and you interrupt to get to try to direct the guy who's it's his fucking podcast would you do that on the tonight show would you sit next to the desk and go uh hey jimmy fallon do you think you can go back to talking about what he was talking about ever and the whole audience would be like what well that's what this guy's doing he's just doing it for an audio audience but of a million plus people right more than a million people are going to listen to that and they're going to hear that guy step in and direct chris hardwick in the middle of this Bill Gates interview. It's fucking weird, man. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. My, my message board, somebody pointed it out. So this is the, uh, it's called Project HoloLens. Or HoloLens. And um, we're seeing these uh, people that are using technology, blah, 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 sitting in front of computers. Pretty standard shit. All right? But then Homeboy puts on... These goggles, and now the video becomes from black and white, it becomes color, and you start seeing like icons all over the room. Like he's got a floating thing that is like right in front of him that's Maui, and it shows the topography and this motorcycle design that they're working on, and it's three dimensional right in front of him. I mean, it's fucking trippy. Look, look at this. I have an idea for the fuel tank. And she pulls it up and manipulates it in front of this guy in real time. Well, that's definitely it, and that's just the start. What's this is crazy incredible. is that it's mind blowing now, but we're looking at the iPhone one of this. Mm -hmm. You know, it's incredible. Like, look, this guy sits down, and there's a game in front of him. Like he's he's like on a World of Warcraft game, like laid out in front of him in three dimensions. And that's going to be, uh, a, a for sure, a, a usable aspect of this kind of technology. To have, like, Dungeons & Dragons or World of Warcraft or some crazy-ass game, Halo maybe, where you're running around and you, uh, you're in a living room and you fill the living room up with the space that you're playing on. Wow. And then eventually it goes to, like, basketball gyms. 
you know? If you have the goggles, and if the game plays out through the goggles, and that's all, I mean, you could do it in a huge space. Mm -hmm. This is amazing stuff, man. Can you imagine the UFC, the game that you could play with those things? Actually, like, if it's just, like, one of those guys that, uh... Oh, yeah. One of those right Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. Well, you could probably act it out. You could probably put on a suit... And that would be like amazing exercise, man. Yeah. Like you could, without anybody hitting you, right. you could put on a suit and play a video game of how to fight. Mm -hmm. That would be amazing. Yeah. That's actually a great idea for a learning tool. If you could get someone to put on goggles that won't move, just like skiing, you know, mm -hmm. something nice and tight, and then get them to wear some sort sensors. of a yeah. yeah. Uh, some sort of a crazy wetsuit type thing mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, or rash guards, even better. And they have a little scent so you can move really good with it. And you have them on your legs, you have them on your hands, and you have an avatar in this game. And you, you see them in front of you and you get to – you won't be able to hit anything. That, that's going to be the problem. Like there won't be like tactic, tact feedback. You don't want – you want like, you know, tactile. You want, you want to actually make impact with an object when you're hitting them. But they probably eventually work their way through that too. Mm -hmm. That yeah. would be an amazing way to get in shape. Yeah. And learn martial arts, man. Well, you know what? If there's little like vibrators or pulsers mm. on the sensors on the fist or right. something, if you're wearing gloves, right. then it can feel like you're hitting yes. something. Yes. So yeah. when you go, when you extend your arm, if that thing goes poop and it inflates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You well, know? it's bad for your joints. It's the only problem. Like snapping punches and kicks into the air, mm -hmm. like you can't hurt yourself mm -hmm. if you don't hit something. That's one of the things. It's like, believe it or not, it's actually easier to hit a bag than it is to miss and hit the air. Wow. If you hit the air, it requires more energy. So when guys are missing, they get tireder than when they're hitting things. Interesting. Yeah. When you're going full force and then you miss, you have to like kind of pull it back. And like there's all there's, there's like a little extra energy that gets used up. The only difference being that when you're hitting things, you run the risk of hurting your hands. Like you can break your hands and break your feet and fuck your, your shins up on things, which we see have. Like Anderson Silva when he broke his shin. We've seen uh, many, many fights where guys break their hand. We just don't know about it because it's in their gloves. So there's there's like that's one thing to think about as far as like how you could benefit from like sparring with those without actually hitting things. Like if you really, can, like all the training that you could do. Like if you're on a treadmill with one of those things on, yeah. you could be running down the ocean. You could be running down the middle of the Grand Canyon. You have dinosaurs behind you motivating you. Yeah! Jurassic Park style when that T-Rex is chasing the Jeep. Finally, fat people can get motivated. <laughs> they could have one where there's like a Kentucky Fried Chicken that's far away and it stays that distance. That's hilarious. Dude, that would be a fucking amazing piece of technology to have at your disposal. Well, we have to figure out how to patent that part. How about pussy? What are they going to do with sex with those things? How about fucking pornography? How about people fucking? I mean, that's going to be crazy. That's right. So you sync up. Here's one for you. I don't know where these ideas are coming from at four in the morning. But you take <laughs> your... Uh, hollow lenses whatever they're calling it and you hook up with a girl and you have a flashlight type of device mm -hmm. that reacts back and squirts on you when you make her orgasm <laughs> squirts back to squirting <laughs> it was great until she started peeing on me man <laughs>
even I knew that I was gonna end up going goofy at the end, and I still made myself laugh with it. <laughs> like I knew where I was going. This is all based on a conversation we had earlier this evening about squirting being proven as being pee. Yeah. And how disappointed some people are of this. Right. Newfound knowledge. Yeah. All the people so, that so, have been so uh, sad. All the people that have been bragging about making people squirt forever just found mm. out that they've been having their bed <laughs> wet for years. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when people will tell you, it doesn't smell like pee. Oh, oh man. I don't know. Well, she's well hydrated then. You maybe, know. maybe it's just pee that got trapped in the wrong canyon. It got cleaned out. Like, sort of when water comes out of a spring, goes through all those rocks, it comes out purified. <laughs> yeah. It's pee coming out the wrong hole. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's just pee. There's I, a lot of debate about that, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that... Uh, no, the best evidence is hmm. that it's pee. Hmm. Is, is that it's a recent occurrence. This is not something that's in the, in the history of sex. Really? Yeah, if you go back and watch old porns, nobody's squirting. Right. No squirting. Yeah. You know, it's like a really recent thing. Girls figured out how to pee all over the place and, yeah. and make it like, you know, some new thing is happening. Right. Well, I remember the first time I saw it <laughs> in a porno and... My mind was blown. Like, I couldn't believe what I was seeing originally. And then I, you know, it's just one of those things that over the years, it's like, wow. They've really, like, the ones they do now are just out of control. Where the girl's on the edge of a bed and just screaming and it's hitting, like, the air conditioner on the other side of the room and everything. <laughs> it's like, come on, she's blatantly peeing, <laughs> pointing it up. She's peeing. This is a lady peeing off the edge of a bed. <sighs> like, it's not It's not even in question anymore. At least they used to make it look like, like she's like, oh, I'm about to orgasm. It's about to happen. Like, they don't even do that anymore. What do you just, think? Ah, ah. <laughs> It's just a chick screaming. What do you think the first first evidence of squirting? Do you think that's documented? That's a great question. I'm going to guess the first time a girl ever squirted was, and I'm pretty confident in this answer, I'm going to say that a chick was hooking up with a guy and they're having fun, but she doesn't she like she likes this guy maybe she really likes him or maybe he's got money or this and that or whatever you know but she wants to impress him and she doesn't want to tell him that she has to peep so he's going to town she's got to pee and and she's like you know uh and she doesn't know like how it's going to get handled but then he's like so she pees and she's like Ah, ah, you're making me orgasm. That's totally what's happening. Well, here's something in the raw story from January 10th. It says, scientists confirmed that there were two different forms of female squirting during climax. They're saying amid swirling controversy, researchers now believe there are two forms of female ejaculation, a landmark discovery in the field of sexual medicine. One is pee and the other is piss. <laughs> Um, this is funny, man. This is funny. Uh, the British Board of Film Classification ordered over six minutes of material be cut from a pornographic movie because it depicted scenes of female ejaculation, which they said doesn't exist. 
Huh, censorship in uh, any form is always controversial, but on this occasion, the BBFC came under fire from a totally unexpected quarter. An activist group, Feminists Against Censorship, who composed a detailed letter to the censor with a mountain of scientific evidence to support the case for female ejaculation. Wow, a mountain of scientific evidence. How much evidence could they have? And who's been studying squirting? What are you doing? Working on poli polio vaccines or trying to cure Ebola? Yeah, who no. comes up with a mountain of squirting research? Like, is this done by some 15-year-old in his parents' basement? Yeah. Um, the case was strong enough to cause the BBFC to partially back down. They were forced to concede that female ejaculation was a controversial and much debated area. It was a messy fudge, which it is, until recently. Now, gynecologist Samuel Salama, that's a real dude, <laughs> and his <laughs> colleagues at the Party 2 Private Hospital in Le Chesnay, France, have some evidence supporting the reality of female ejaculation. They carried out the first ever this ultrasound sound. scans on women who expre express large amounts of liquid at orgasm, and the results of their work have been published in the Journal of Sexual Medicine. What you're wow. reading sounds like a porno. Dr. Salami mm -hmm. has to research on whether squirting. Yeah, it's close. <laughs> Dr. Close. Salami is in. Well, it's, it's Salama. S-A-L-A-M-A. -A -A. But yeah, I hear you. That's how I heard it the it's first close. time, but I had to turn it into Well, you should. It's a like a parody. Yeah. It's probably is bullshit. Dr. Salami. <laughs> New Scientist. Oh, my God. New Scientist magazine describes how the research showed that there are two... Okay. This is a real website? The Raw Story. That's a real website, right? I don't know. There's too many of those goddamn What are you reading? A Squirter the Monthly? The Raw Story. <laughs> RawStory.com. <laughs> Squirted Monthly. Well, I'm going to my message board on squirting that I always visit. Squirter's Digest says that Seems normal. it's totally fine. <laughs> Sarah Pal Palin rambles on about Chris Kyle, Hollywood hypocrites, and running for office in 2016. No, this is all real shit, man. Glenn wow. Beck's Busy Day. Lectures Pope Francis on Capitalism. Billy Joel on Concerts. Yeah. <clears throat> That's hilarious, man. Hmm. Um, yeah. Breaking. Wikipedia bans five editors from gender-related articles amid Gamergate controversy. <laughs> the sanction bans the five editors from having anything to do with articles covering Gamergate, but also from any other article about gender or sexuality broadly construed that's hilarious so i guess that's a, a real issue with wikipedia people just being assholes and fucking with things and changing yeah. changing facts and that's so funny man so this is this appears to be like a real website and this real website is actually saying that the new scientist is saying that squirting is real wow. what yeah what that's a rough situation that is so crazy man I can't believe that's real. Jeez, oh man. Um, so who knows who's right? I know that anybody studying it is a fucking freak, though. Okay, well, you here's know, one of the one. things. Discovery, that... Discovery blog. Proof that female ejaculation is just pee. Yeah. Okay, what the fuck? This is January 12th. This is two days later. This is two days after that. It's definitely pee. Look, it even it takes a while to even 
You know, everybody who says that they make somebody squirt, they tell you that it takes a while. You know, you got to be aggressive and rub the roof for like 20 or 30 or 40 oh, minutes. God. And I get it. Like, that's what they're into. They can't control their pee, maybe. But that's what it is. They're just peeing and they don't realize it. They... How do you know, though? Why are you such an expert? Me? Because I've never made a girl squirt. <laughs> and if I can't make a girl squirt, Joe Rogan, then by God, it's not a real thing. Wow. Conclusion. The present data based on ultrasonographic bladder monitoring and biochemical analysis indicates that squirting is essentially the involuntary emission of urine during sexual activity, although a marginal contribution of prostatic secretions to the emitted fluid often exists. So what they're saying is it's primarily vaginal fluid or primarily urine with some vaginal fluid mixed in. Mm-hmm. Which okay. is bound to happen if somebody's fingering a vagina. Like, there's fluids in there, so that's going to come out with the pee. That makes sense. I want to know who the fuck was involved in this test. So this test, like, was done. They, they like, fingered these chicks. The oh. chicks signed up to get fingered. Guys signed up to do the fingering. They must have, right? I mean, who does this test? The luckiest freak? doctor of all time. <laughs> uh, Wearing a raincoat. Right. Rubber gloves like the fucking Morton's fisherman. <laughs> yeah. Feeding them lemonade. Just keep Seven drinking. women without gynecological abnormalities and who reported recurrent and massive fluid emission during sexual stimulation underwent provoked sexual arousal. Pelvic ultra, uh, ultrasound scans were performed after voluntary urination and during sexual stimulation just before and after squirting. This is all with references. Wow. Interesting. So that seems to say it is urine and it's it's involuntary release of urine so they think it's not peeing because mm -hmm. it's just flying out. And so this woman's mad. And this is one of the comments. One of the comments. Sample size of seven is not statistically significant by any scientific standard, and have been, <laughs> and there have long been theories that the female prostate is emptying into the bladder during arousal. Anyone who has encountered the copious amounts of clear fluid some women squirt knows it does not resemble what the same women pee into the toilet. The smell, taste, and even feel is entirely different, often tinged with a musky odor and never adulterated with the smell of ammonia unless she failed to empty her bladder before sex. How many bitches are peeing on this broad? Like, she's like breaking down when it's good, when it's bad, when it's real, when it's not. Yeah. Furthermore, this research doesn't even ask the obvious question. Where is the prostate-specific antigen, PSA, coming from, and how did it get into the bladder? Answer, female prostate. And if these researchers had done their homework, <laughs> they would at least entertain that possibility before drawing their irresponsible conclusions. Irresponsible. Like oh. you're trying to take away her squirting. Right. Like she's got a, a fucking magic trick. And you're pulling, you're pulling the rabbit out of the hat and going, the rabbit, he's, he's always been here. He's right. There's a fold and you pull him through and this, he's in the sleep. No. Yeah. So people are bang, ganging up on her. This mm -hmm. lady says, Veronica, you're just upset to find out that you've been peeing into your partners during sex. Sorry, bro. That's exactly what peeing it is. Peeing on your partners during sex. That's exactly what it is. And all those people <laughs> have to face it. Yeah. It's pee. It's been pee all along. Well, it seems it was, like just something. It, was pee all along. it seems like there's something <laughs> in there.
You know that Argus Hamilton joke where he talks about being Richard Nixon? He goes, it was me all along. No, forget it. Terrible tangent. This is interesting, man. Oh, yeah. Because people, um, some people are really mad. But the woman, she does have a point in that it's only seven people. And, like, what if some chicks just have crazy amounts of, like, genital fluid mm -hmm. or vaginal fluid and it actually does come out like pee through the same hole? Like, it overwhelms their, their bladder. Like, they fill up with this stuff. They make too much of it and they squirt it out. I mean, it makes sense. They do make liquid. Right, they make that liquid that gets them wet, and sometimes girls get really fucking wet, right? And girls who get really wet, like that's a lot of fluid. Yeah. Like think about that. If they had like an oversurgence of it and it pooled up inside their body, mm -hmm. and then it released through the bladder when it like overwhelmed their storage capacity, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. And that's also probably why it makes sense that it lasts so long. They have to do it for so long before they actually do it. Or maybe it only works when that stuff pools up and they have to pee. And then it all comes, ah, they yeah. can't take it anymore. Exactly. And it's like pee that this stuff is piggybacking on. Yeah. Squirty deeds done dirt cheap. This is so funny. This is guys funny. This may be the sexual equivalent of reading what goes into a hot dog. I know, and yet I still like to eat one once in a while. <laughs> Just like, I'm going to keep turning on the fountain. What can I say? It's hot. <laughs> right. <laughs> Knowing that someone pees on her. Yeah. Oh, this is hilarious. They, they have like stars, like peeing stars or, or squirting stars. This woman writes, Someone want to tell Cynthia Jennifer Flowers that female ejaculate is pee? No disrespect, but one of my favorite hobbies is cunnilingus, and I know that isn't pee. <laughs> Those two ladies I posted can oh, oh Cynthia Ford slash Jason Flowers. I don't get that. Cannot have that much fluid pee in them with the amount that they ejaculate in a session. Um, of course they can. That doesn't make any sense. Those two ladies I posted cannot have that much pee in them. It says that much fluid and then in parentheses pee in them. That's, that doesn't make any sense because we know you can piss up a storm. Like that's way more likely. Yeah. Saying that they can't have that much in them if it was just pee, that's hilarious. Wrong. It's not pee. You should be ashamed for publishing this erroneous article. Poor excuse for scientists. Having said that, it may contain some urine. Let me explain. <laughs> they should have sad. done their research prior to testing. And they might have known that the fluid comes from a spongy flesh lining the walls of the vagina. Spongy flesh lining the, on the walls of the vagina? What is that? It is the squeezing from the intense orgasm that forces this fluid out of the walls and squirts out. It does not come th from the female urethra like pee. Those are all caps with three, four explanation points. One, two, three, three, three explanation points. Empty her bladder all you want. She'll still squirt a puddle. So how can it test like pee? Ex question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> If they had done their research, women who squirt a lot, yes, all women ejaculate different quantities, would become dehydrated. And a portion of the spongy flesh is all that separates the pee from the cavity. So the moisture will travel through the spongy porous walls to the other side. Voila, pee-tainted female ejaculation. Wow. That doesn't sound kosher. This lady sounds like a 
R.E.M. song or something. <laughs> everybody squirts. Come on, man. Not everybody squirts. Well, I think she's saying amount. everybody produces different amounts of that stuff. Yeah. Some people it doesn't but she's, squirt by out. By saying that, she's saying like, like, a, like, if it's just a drop and you get wet, then that's squirting. But it's like it's not squirting. Wow, these people are funny, man. These people are really arguing this. It's like a hot subject. This guy says, I've only been with one squirter, and it was definitely urine in that case. <laughs> Made a mess every time we had sex. Other people's Ew. experience may be different. And then the, the, the chick under is like, no, it's not pee, unless you're doing it wrong. But then it's not squirt. I'm a squirter. My G-spot. <laughs> my G-spot is the upper beginning of my vagina. If the G-door is stimulated in the right way, I squirt a lot. And can several times. If my vagina was stimulated deep and up, my bladder as stimulated and I pee, they are two totally different in color, smell, and feel. <laughs> that's a guy. That's an 11-year-old boy who made that. But it's a picture of a girl's face. How can you say that, of man? Of course. Look, that's every, she's got a face. That's every That's cat her. Fish. Wait, let me see her oh, face. Come on, buddy. That's a girl. Oh, fuck. That's a young gal. That's her story. She's got a squirty vagina. Discussion. Seriously, science. Uh, proof that female ejaculation is just pee. Here's her. This is her Twitter post. She's like really upset. She only has one follower after bragging all over the web that she's a squirter. Well, maybe she'll get more after we read this on the podcast. Nice gal mm -hmm. who squirts. Look, I don't know, man. I never experienced it. it might be real. Fuck, do you know, Tony? Hey, I know this is I squirt like four times a day directly into a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever squirt uncontrollably? And does it come from somebody rubbing the outside of your vaginal door? I almost squirted my pants the other <laughs> night on my way home from the comedy store. <laughs> I've been shit my pants for quite a few years now. It's been a while. Shit my pants a little bit, maybe like a couple of years ago. That was yeah. the last time. I I've had a couple close calls from my. The crazy food that I eat and tons of coffee. I filled my underwear once coming home from Fear Factor. <laughs> Just filled it. I had a fart. And I farted in my car and sweat. Oh no! Whoosh! Oh my god! Just whoosh! Really? Filled. Filled it. Filled my underwear. Just wow. like a balloon. So I've always, I've always wondered because oh. I've come close a few times. Like, what oh. happens? So you have to walk Took inside. Took my underwear off. I got out of the car. Just in the driveway. Or yeah, something. Like got out of the emergency. car in the driveway. Just took my pants off. I think I I put my shitty underwear in the trash. I don't really totally remember because this is like during the Fear Factor days. But I th I'm pretty sure I threw my shitty underwear away and hosed myself off and then went inside and, and like, threw my pants. I cleaned my pants. I didn't want to throw my pants away. Mm -hmm. So I cleaned my pants. Yeah. Those underwear were dead to me. Like, yeah. Underwear are cheap. You know, those are good pants. Right. So I hosed my pants off, whatever was in it. Most of it was in the, the actual underwear itself. Mm -hmm. um, then I just went took a shower yeah. and then knew that I couldn't fart. Wow. <laughs> I remember I was coming home. I was in my car. And I just went, oh no! Just fill, wow. just filled my underwear. Fill. So, like, wait, did you have to lift your butt up a little bit so that it didn't like smear up against your butt cheeks? No, it was in there. There's no pocket. getting out of that. I just I shit my pants. Oh my god! So, um, yeah, it was probably like a tall Starbucks coffee yeah. of shit. You know, it wasn't like a full. Dump. That's a really lot. 
<laughs> Tall Starbucks coffee is a huge It wasn't shit. good. It wasn't good. I mean, wow. There was a lot of shit. Do you remember the episode of Fear Factor that no, we shot that no, day so I, I could look back and find <laughs> it? <laughs> and we could all know that that was the day that you shit your pants on the way home. Those fucking days, that show became a blur. Yeah, After a while, there's so many days. Yeah. It's 148 episodes, and then I think six more in the, the redo when we did, redid it in like 2011. Mm-hmm. But before that, 148 fucking episodes, at least three stunts per episode. Oh, God, That's it was so many. Crazy. So many days. <sighs> it never ended, so. <clears throat> Are you running out of gas? I really am. It's not even late. It's seven fifteen LA time. But I've been awake since like eight AM. I worked this out place. today. Yeah. I've been, oh eight AM here. Yeah. Yeah. What is that LA time? That's like two in the morning or some shit. Yeah. We're nine hours ahead. That's what we are. Which is really weird. I'm like backwards. If I woke up at eight, that means yeah, what is it? It's four twelve now. So it's four twelve here. And it's seven twelve in LA. Seven twelve in the evening. Yes. No, no, it's 4.12 in the afternoon, he, or 4.12 in the morning here. It's 7.12 at night in L.A. Wow. Fuck. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so different. Well, I'm trying to stay awake, uh, quite honestly, also as well, because I have to work tomorrow at night. Like, I have to be awake at this time because the fights don't start until 10. Hmm. So um, there's 12 fights. That's six hours of fights. 11, 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, which is where we're at right now. So at this time tomorrow, I'll be just getting done work. (laughs) And then it's back, back, back to California. Yeah. In these uh, floating paradise boats in the sky. These fucking British Airways first class cabin seats. God, I could stay in one of those forever and <laughs> slowly take over the world. Tony Hinchcliffe has office in front of British Airways airplane. Like I could, I could dominate. Yeah, I could, I could build like an enterprise, like a comedy enterprise from one of those little little cubicles. Yeah, yeah, you could do a lot of writing in there. Oh, I was saying um, that the uh, the best one is Qantas first class to Australia. It's insane. Mm-hmm. It's apartment. It's an apartment. It's huge. I mean, it's an enormous space. It's bigger than this thing that we're we're in, flying wow. back to L.A. How long is the flight to Australia compared to here? Um, overall, it's a similar amount of time, but you're in the plane longer. Mm-hmm. I think the flight to Australia to Sydney is about 16 hours. Wow. And the flight here is we're about 10 or so. And then we do another three and a half, but then there's some downtime mm-hmm. in between. We had like two hours of downtime. So it's real similar. As far as like take off to land in your destination, it's pretty similar. Mm. It's probably almost identical. But this is the first of uh, many podcasts. Don't know. It's the first part probably ever. We're going to do with an iPhone in a hotel in Stockholm at 4 a.m. But uh, Tony's tapping out. So... It's been beautiful, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope Jamie can actually turn this into something that doesn't sound like dog shit. I think it'll be able to work. Jamie's the man. I'm sure he's 
yeah, he's even he can't deal with that little mousy voice that you about to go to sleep. Yeah, I'm running out. Is it Jamie's the man? Listen All right, to, ladies listen and gentlemen. To Tony. Listen to Kill Tony. Savages. Um, this Monday, I'm going to be on Kill Tony. Yes. Uh, who am I on it with? I'm, I'm going to have an answer for you tomorrow when I wake up from this deep sleep. Deep, deep, deep sleep. Maybe Bert Kreischer. Yes. All right, my friends. This has been uh, episode of, oh, episode one of uh, Podcast from a Hotel Room in Stockholm. Much love. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into the podcast. And thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Life Below Zero, which airs April 9th, Thursday, April 9th at 9 p.m. 8 Central. That's when the new season starts. That's Life Below Zero. Thursday, April 9th at 9 p.m. 8 Central on the National Geographic Channel. Thanks also to DraftKings.com. Go to DraftKings.com. Use the promo code ROGAN for free entry. Free entry in their $100,000 fantasy baseball contest on opening day. That's DraftKings.com, and use the promo code ROGAN. All right, my friends, thank you for tuning in. Much love. Take care. Big kiss. Bye-bye.